Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Big basketball game tonight. The Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. What is going to happen? The Jazz have been the top team in the NBA by record for a long stretch. After that 4-4 and start, they won 11 in a row, lost a game, won 9 in a row. So it's 20 of 21, and they take control of things. And now they've had another nine-game win streak snapped by the Dallas Mavericks. And I'm really intrigued by how this game goes tonight. I am so, I don't even have words for how intrigued I am. And I realize that, you know, we'll get two, three weeks past this and probably won't mean as much. But if the Jazz lose this game, the storyline right now is they're dominating the middle and bottom of the league, but they are struggling with the elite in the league. And their lead to the Suns will be down to a game and a half. And the Suns will have beaten them twice because the Suns got them way back when they were doing that four and four start. And they're only playing three times this year. So the Suns will be a game and a half back, one back in the loss column, and they'll hold the tiebreaker and they'll still have a game left. If the Jazz win, order's restored. They're up three and a half games. They split head to head with the Suns. They won 10 out of 11. Yeah, they lost in Dallas. They were on the road. Dallas shot it well. They didn't. It happens. You can't hold teams responsible for not winning 12 in a row because nobody's winning 12 in a row with this compressed NBA schedule and stars resting and guys trying to get healthy for the playoffs and and big names having health issues. So big game tonight. ESPN, 8 o'clock. Jazz and the Suns. All right. We are going to talk a little uh, college football here. Uh, Fred Whittingham. Tight ends coach for the University of Utah, meeting with the media. More interest than usual in the tight ends for a couple reasons. One, this looks like a pretty good group of, of tight ends for Utah. There's some name recognition because Keithy's been really good now for a while. And Fotheringham's come along and made some plays. And really intrigued by Dalton Kincaid. And you're going to hear from Kincaid coming up in the next segment. A guy who didn't play much high school football, uh, went to the University of San Diego, really let it up, lit it up at the FCS level for one year, and then transferred to Utah. So the other thing is, of course, the youth look a little light in the uh, wide receivers, but can the tight ends pick that slack up? Can they be a threat downfield? All right, here's the youth's tight end coach, Fred Whittingham, on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Morning, Freddie. Uh, just wanted to to get a, a glimpse of, of what you're going through as far as coaching the uh, tight ends. You have three very talented tight ends with Dalton, Cole, and uh, and Brant. Um, with with Brant being more of a hybrid, does that make it easier to get everybody the same amount of reps? Uh, good morning. Well, it's always a good problem to have to have good depth at a position. And uh, yeah, Brant is a very versatile player, so you can really put him out as a wide receiver, you can put him in the wing as a move tight end. You can put him in the backfield as a fullback. So that does give us a lot of versatility as far as formations and things that we can do uh, with three tight ends in the game for sure. Yeah. Next is Josh Furlong, KSL.com. Hey, Freddie, you just mentioned, obviously, that you can move these guys in a lot of different areas and, and, and do a lot with them. Um, the tight end position group has been pretty effective the last couple of years, especially with Brandt kind of taking the charge there. Where, where do you feel like this group can progress and, and where do you see, you know, maybe um, their playmaking abilities uh, sh- being showcased this year? Uh, good morning, Josh. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, the mentality of any great player should be to always be seeking improvement. And I think all these guys uh, have that type of mentality. So there's always the opportunity to improve in your fundamentals and your technique. 
and become better at the things that you do. Um, you know, as an offense, it's our job to put them in a position to, to be successful on the field and to make explosive plays. So I think, you know, one of the things we can look at is ways to get uh, the ball pushed down the field to them in the passing game. Uh, I think I got um, – we, we have a, a number of different uh, players in the tight end group that can, that can uh, get separation in the passing game. Um, but it all starts with, with the run game. You know, if we're successful – uh, in the run game with, with uh, uh, them being able to, to, to be great run blockers, it puts the defense in a little bit of a dilemma because uh, they have to decide, are we going to load up the box and put uh, a bunch of linebackers in there? And, and if they do, we feel like we should have a mismatch with these guys to be able to push the ball downfield in the throw game, for sure. Next, we'll go to Jeff Call from the Deseret News, followed by Sammy Mora from the Daily Utah Chronicle. Yeah, I was wondering in terms of recruiting, how important is Utah County and the, the talent that's there and how big of a factor is it to have guys like uh, Britton Covey have success and kind of show what can be done? Uh, Utah is always going to be our, our first and highest priority as far as a recruiting area, whether that be Utah County, Salt Lake County, uh, Davis County, Weber County, whatever county it may be. Uh, if the players are there, we're going to put a priority on on our in-state recruits and prospects and make sure that we feel like we are getting the best players in-state. And, and there's been a long history and tradition of players from in-state coming up here uh, to the University of Utah and having outstanding careers and helping us win a lot of football games, earning their degree and going on to do big things. So uh, the players, uh, wherever they are in Utah, and we just have hap happened to have a bunch from Utah County, we'll seek them out, we'll find them, and we'll try to get the best ones up here. Next is Sammy Mora, followed by Cole Bagley, Daily Utah Chronicle. Morning, Coach. Um, talking about Dalton, he had such a prolific career at San Diego. How, and obviously with the reduced season last year, what are you looking to see from him in his first full season at Utah? Well, good morning. Yeah, uh, Dalton was was a great find for us. You know, he did have a lot of success at the University of San Diego at the FCS level. Uh, you know, the first goal last year was to get uh, a waiver approved for him to be eligible as a transfer, which we were able to do. So he got a lot of great experience. Uh, now, year two in the program, he's more comfortable with the offense. He knows the scheme. And he's got a lot of talents uh, in both the run game and, and the passing game. I think we can get Dalton involved as a, uh, as a vertical threat, uh, at, as a tight end. Um, I think we can get him involved in a number of different ways because he's, he's got the, the complete package when it comes to, you know, uh, an every down tight end. He's, he's got good size. He's got good physicality. He runs well. Uh, he's very athletic. He's got very good hands. So, again, we're, we're blessed to have a number of different uh, players at this position currently in the program that, that can play at a very high level. So it's our job as coaches to, to put them in those positions to be able to make the plays. Next is Cole Bagley. Morning, Coach. How are you? Doing great. Thank you. Good. Uh, I'm just curious, um, what are your expectations from uh, Brant Keithy this season? You know, he had a, a really good 2019 season, and, and last year it seemed he took a little bit of dip as far as um, production. What are you expecting this season? Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes the production uh, is often tied to touchdowns, and so last year he didn't have 
a, a touchdown, but he still averaged five catches a game. I believe he was the leading uh, tight end as far as receptions in the, the Pac-12 with the shortened season. So I would argue that he did have a productive year last year. He just didn't score a lot of touchdowns. And, you know, sometimes that's within your control. Sometimes that's not within your control. But with Brant, you know, coming back, uh, this would be his senior year if it wasn't for the, you know, the COVID carryover of an additional year of eligibility. Uh, I expect him to get a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, a little bit faster. And uh, when he's healthy, uh, as we've seen, he's 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 a handful. He's he's hard to uh, to scheme for because he can do so much. So I expect him to improve his run blocking. I expect him to uh, to improve in, in every facet of his game. And that's the kind of guy he is. He always wants to get better. He always wants to do more. He's ultra competitive. He wears his heart out on his sleeve. And 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 uh, and I expect him to be a, a really big time playmaker in this offense within the scheme of, of how we do things. And that's the key is that, you know, we've got a lot of talent on, on offense. We've got a lot of uh, potential weapons and, and we've got to spread the ball around and, and make sure that, uh, you know, that we put them in positions to, to, to make the type of plays that we've seen them make in the past. And, and I expect uh, big things, not just, you know, uh, this season out of brand, I expect big things every single practice. Just a quick follow-up um, in regards to Cole fathering him. What, uh, how important is he to the, the tight end room? And then, what are you expecting from him this year? Cole is vitally important important to the tight end room and and the team as a whole. He's on the leadership council, which was elected by his peers, and and Cole's been a three year starter here in this offense. Uh, Cole is an outstanding uh, run blocker. And, and, you know, one thing about Cole also is that, that he, he has some of the best hands you'll see for a tight end. He can really catch the ball. Um, and he's done a lot to work on his uh, speed and explosiveness in the offseason. We see that show up in the practice. And, again, I think uh, another guy that's an every-down tight end that can make plays in both the run game and the throw game. And Cole is vital to, to the room, to the tight end room, and, and to the offense and to the team overall as a leader, as an experienced guy, um, and as a guy that, you know, will help us play some championship football. Next up, Trevor Allen, KSL Sports.com. Do you feel like that there's a light at the end of the tunnel of when you guys can actually go out and be able to visit recruits and have them on campus, or, or is it still a, a, a shot in the dark? Well, we're still waiting for official word from the NCAA, but all signs are pointing to – uh, going into a quiet period in June, which would allow uh, prospects to come to our campus. We could host official visits in June and, uh, and have camps uh, potentially in June. They, they may not look exactly like the camps we've had in the past, uh, but, but it is looking like those, those signs are pointing to us being able to interact with recruits on our own campus in June. And then hopefully in, in the fall, uh, we'll be able to do on in-person evaluations at high school games, JC games, things like that. And uh, I'm personally looking forward to it because recruiting and, and, and being out there and finding prospects is one of the best parts of this job, I believe. I love it. And uh, I hope that, that we're able to do that very soon. But, but I, I do believe that we will be able to uh, have recruits on campus in June. There's the Utes tight end coach, Fred Winningham, his brother, the head coach, Kyle Winningham, coming up in the next segment, along with a couple of the Utah tight ends who should be making big plays this year. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. 
Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Well, the Utes famously lost a couple of wide receivers in the transfer portal. Uh, Kyle Williams is going to talk about this. They uh, will pick up probably two. Uh, Certainly one, maybe three, but ideally probably two receivers. But there's no doubt some of the production has to be picked up by the tight ends. Brant Keithy, high expectations for him coming off a couple of good seasons. Here's Brant Keithy with the media. Brant, you you were able to get five games in in 2020 in a in a free year. How how do you feel like you you grew as a player and and you know in your role uh, within the offense? Yeah, it wasn't a great year, but um, I think I improved as a player just overall in my body type and just learning systems and getting in touch because first year under a system with Coach Ludd, it was great, but um, you really don't know all partakes what's in the system. So it's good that we got a bunch of new guys in. So I think it's going to be a little change this year, but last year was a great year just to start off and uh, see what this new team was about. And I'm looking forward to this year. And then do a follow-up on that. Uh, Kyle Whittingham said that uh, Charlie Brewer is the quarterback that is separating himself from, from the others in, in spring ball. What is it about his game where he's doing that? Well, he can throw at all angles. He can run the ball. I mean, you saw it at Baylor. He's a little glimpse. Uh, I didn't get much – I didn't get to see much of him at Baylor just because we're on the West Coast and um, I didn't get to really watch much of him. But uh, the things I have seen, he can throw amazing. And uh, during practice, he – he can launch it. Next question will come from Josh Furlong with KSL, followed by Cole Bagley with Utah Daily Chronicle. Yeah, Brent, obviously uh, the wide receiver room got a little thinner this this offseason with a couple guys leaving. Um, but the, the, you know, the tight ends have obviously been one of the highest productive uh, units in, in the team. You know, where do you feel like your guys' job is to step up and, and kind of take on that? Or do you feel like it's still kind of a similar role and complementary to kind of what, what Utah has already kind of accomplished? I think it's a little bit of both, but um, I mean, we have playmakers. Dalton's doing really good uh, this spring, and I think next year it's going to be it's going to be a different story because um, he wasn't really much involved last year, and plus, only getting only getting five games and just a lot of the play was a little erratic. Just um, I think this year, getting a full slate of games, I think tight end group is going to be really showed. Next question will come from Cole Bagley, followed by Jeff Call with the Deseret News. Yeah, Brian, I'm curious. Um, you had posted on Instagram about coming back to University of Utah. Was there any questioning your return, or was there any plans of maybe trying to go to the next level? Um, I mean, a little bit just because I had a decent season, but uh, I just sat there and I was like, well, we only won three games or however many games we won. It doesn't really matter. It was in the past, and we haven't won a Pac-12 championship, and that's the most important goal. It's been here, and every single year we fall short of it, so – just came here to win that. And just a quick follow-up, I guess, what what are you looking forward to the most then this season? Just playing with the guys. I mean, uh, it's it's a whole new group, and I don't think all of us really know each other that well. And just with this COVID, and I think once we – comes a little bit back to normal, I think the teams can really get some chemistry. And uh, I'm just looking forward to us playing because five games wasn't enough. I'm excited for the uh, fans to get back in the stadium, and, and we can rock the U. 
Next question will come from Jeff Cole. Yeah, could you describe what uh, Britton Covey brings to this team in terms of what he does on offense and special teams and leadership and then kind of what you've seen the way that he's overcome injuries and different adversity like that? Yeah, he's tough. Uh, he's a great leader. And I mean, anytime you get the ball in his hands, he's going to do something electric no matter what. He has four guys in front of him, six guys. Like, he's going to make all the miss or just run around them. Yeah, he's a he's a great leader and great player. And um, he's a great guy to have in the locker room just to keep everybody straight and and – I mean, we have some guys that just kind of act up, but he's the one that kind of sucks him straight and just – he's a really tough guy and a great leader. Final question for Brandt will come from Sammy Mora. Morning, Brandt. Um, you've already briefly touched on Dalton, um, but what is it that he possesses mixed with your game and Cole's game that can take this tight end group to the next level? Yeah, um, he's tall, he's fast, he can stretch the field and go up and grab balls. I mean – it just adds another element to our tight end group and the overall offense as a playmaker. And if we have all the guys that we have on the field, I don't see there's any way that anybody can stop us. I mean, we can stretch the field with him. We can do a lot of things with JD, Britt. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can do this year. It's just uh, I think if we implement everybody in the offense and, and get the guys the ball, it's going to be a great year. All right, there's Brand Keithy, Cole Farthingham, also expected to produce. And keep your eye on Dalton Kincaid. When he transferred into the U, Kyle Winningham was very high on him, very complimentary. Now, the way things worked out last year, only five games, he didn't have a big impact or anything, um, and we don't get to know much about him, and we don't. This should be the year we really find out who Kincaid is. He only played one year of high school football. He went to USD, University of San Diego, um, FCS level, same level as uh, Weber State and Southern Utah, and now Dixie State. He lit it up there and was among the national leaders in multiple categories, transferred to the U. Here he is with the media. Well, and obviously with last year, it's kind of hard to acclimate into a program with COVID and just a shortened season and everything. You know, where do you, where do you feel like you can kind of take take a next step now with the program and in spring and, and just kind of being able to, you know, mesh with that, that tight end position group? Uh, I think a lot of it just has to do with time. Uh, I think chemistry is a big thing with football and just having more time with the guys, not only just the tight end group, but uh, every single position uh, just creating better relationships with them. And then just learning the offense more, uh, not just knowing the why and the you, but uh, more positions and more concepts. Next question will come from 1280 The Zone. Dalton, I'm curious about your high school career. You played one year of high school football. Did you play other sports? Why didn't you play more football? Uh, can you kind of take us through that time and what happened? Yeah. Uh, so I played freshman football. Uh, like most freshmen going into high school. And then following that year, uh, they changed the whole offensive scheme to like a wing T offense. And at the time I was just a receiver. So I decided to focus more on basketball, which was my main sport growing up. And then I ended up transferring to a different high school because my mom thought I would enjoy a smaller college experience like she had. And when I transferred there, it was a smaller school, of course, there was about 300 in the graduating class. And I mean, everyone played some sport. So uh, my buddies who were a lot of my AAU basketball friends convinced me to come out for football. And I mean, from there, it's kind of just got the ball rolling. So just a quick follow up. How did that work in recruiting then? Because you would have been off the radar. Did you pursue people or were there people pursuing you at the lower levels? What happened? Uh, I definitely got a lot of notice from uh, like D2 schools, a lot of schools in the north, like North Dakota, South Dakota, 
Idaho. And um, we, the receiving coach at the time, uh, one of my best friend's dads, uh, Mr. Cody, he kind of was like a recruiting coordinator in a way. He would talk to the colleges that came and say like, this is who we have and if you're looking for anyone. So he was a huge benefit in the recruiting process and just communicating with schools and myself and helping me get to the next level. Next question will come from Cole Bagley with the Utah Daily Chronicle. I'm curious, uh, what's it been like to take reps with with Charlie Brewer and, and if you could describe kind of the type of quarterback that he is? I mean, the more reps you get with him, the better chemistry. So any rep is a good rep. Uh, but he's just – he's very confident in what he does. Uh, he kind of just has this switch that when he's in the huddle, he's just locked in. And, uh, I mean, he throws a, a gorgeous ball. It seems to always hit you in the right spot. And he's kind of just taking more of a leadership role, I feel like, uh, when he's in the huddle. Next question will come from Josh Rillong. Yeah, you mentioned it's it. You know, you kind of need to get acclimated to to your teammates and kind of get to know them a little bit better. But what what do you feel like you've learned specifically from Brant and Cole and and maybe some other guys in there that have you know some veteran experience with this program? And, and where do you think they can help you take your game to the next level? Uh, Cole and Brant have been a huge help. I mean, with learning the playbook and just like tips and tricks on the field. Uh, I mean, at this level, the guys are bigger, faster, stronger, and your technique's going to be involved a lot more. So, I mean, Cole has great technique in the run game in the pass game as well. Brant has great technique in the run game as well and pass game. So I think both of them are just a huge help and just learning from them and uh, even other guys in the position group. Just, I mean, we kind of just all like benefit each other in some way with tips and tricks and it's all more like constructive criticism. All right, there is Dalton Kincaid now. Here is the head coach, Kyle Whittingham. Okay, ready to uh, get into week uh, four here of spring ball. Two weeks to go um, this week, and obviously culminating next week with the spring game. And so that gives us uh, four practices, a scrimmage in the spring game uh, left. And uh, our, you know, so far, very good work. A lot of progress. Um, just uh, got to keep... Uh, taking steps forward with each practice and and uh, see where we're at at the end of this whole thing. And then we'll get uh, get ready for the next phase, which would be uh, summer conditioning. So that's where we're at. Questions? Okay, thank you. We'll start off from Hans Olsen, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Hey, coaches, you mentioned over 120 players for this spring ball. Has it been as hectic to manage those numbers as you thought or more simple? Time. You, know, you still have to be within your 20 hours, which we, which we are. But, but uh, more up, more reps on the field for uh, you know for the excess of guys, and and uh, it seems to have worked out very well. Now, the uh, you know there's a lot of the vets that uh, are you know have played a lot of good football for us have not gotten as many reps as as the younger guys. But that's by design, and that's pretty much the case every spring. You you got a handful of guys that have that have uh, played a lot of football for you that just don't need the the, the amount of reps that uh, some of the younger guys do. So it's been about the same dose. We just have more reps to, to go around because of the, the more uh, bigger volume of numbers. We'll go next to Trevor Allen, kslsports.com, followed by Austin Facer of ABC4. 
Kyle, how, how's that move been with uh, Kane Savage and Ben Renfro moving over to wide receiver during spring ball? Is that looking like something that is going to stick, or you still want to see how, how that goes for the next couple weeks? The latter. We'll, we'll continue that uh, throughout the remainder of spring ball, then make a decision. Uh, Ben's been unable to practice for a couple weeks now with a minor injury, and so his his progress has been slowed. But but Kane has been out there every day and, and uh, actually had a visit with Kane uh, – Right in the middle of spring ball, about the two and a half week mark, and and checked in and saw, you know see how things were going with him, and he was eager to to continue down the path and and stay at wide receiver at least through spring. So so those two guys will be uh, finishing up spring ball at wide receiver, and again Ben should be back this week. Uh, like I said, he's missed f- uh, three or four or five practices, uh, but he should be back this week. Next up, Austin Fazer, followed by Cole Bagley, Daily Utah Chronicle. Hey, Kyle, um, I know it's about a week away or more, actually, um, but how's it going to feel, you know, to have fans back in the stadium for the first time at the spring game? Well, it'll be great. And, uh, we're anticipating 6,500, and so uh, not everyone will get to go. Typically, we get about 10,000 for the spring game, but uh, it's a step in the right direction, and uh, just hoping that uh, we're at full capacity in the fall. That may be a little optimistic, but that's, that's what we're hoping for. Next is Cole Bagley, followed by Jeff Call of the Deseret News. Good morning, Coach. How are you? Morning, Cole. Good. I'm just wondering, um, how would you describe uh, Brant Keithy's talent and contributions to the team? Uh, first of all, he's an extremely talented young man. He's not. Uh, he's more of a hybrid than he is a tight end. He's he doesn't have the uh, prototypical tight end size. You know, he's six two and a half, about two hundred and thirty pounds, and so more of an H back. Uh, actually played running back in high school. So that, that was his background when he got to the program was was as a running back. But uh, extremely talented, uh, catches the ball exceptionally well, runs great routes, elusive in the open field, as you've seen many times over the last couple of years. And he's a big weapon for us. And and uh, he hasn't been practicing much as of late. He's got a little ailment going on that, that shouldn't be uh, an issue long-term, but, but uh, hasn't had a lot of work this spring. He was out early in spring. Uh, for practice and then uh, has been shut down for a while. So, so he hasn't been uh, a part of what we're doing, but, but uh, he'll be a big part of what we're doing this fall. Next, we'll go to Jeff Call. Uh, Kyle, I know it's been a while, but uh, what do you remember about recruiting uh, Britton Covey? Britton Covey, um, first of all, it was a projection. He was a quarterback in high school and a very good quarterback. And uh, we knew that that wasn't going to be his uh, his uh, position in college, but thought he could be an outstanding receiver. And uh, you know, I've known the Covey family for literally forty five years. You know, we've been uh, grew up in the same neighborhood and, and uh, knew Britt's grandfather very well, and and of course Britt's dad. And so it's been a relationship for for many many years. But uh, we. Uh, I, we just had a belief in Britt that, that he could play uh, Division One football as a wide receiver and uh, even more certain that he could be a returner, you know, such a terrific returner. And so it was a uh, uh, just a typical recruiting process, although uh, he didn't have – I didn't think he had nearly as many uh, people interested in him as he should have. I, thought, I think they discounted him because of his size, a lot of the, the schools and – and uh, shouldn't have because he's uh, he's a playmaker, and we're excited to have him on our team for the last and then, five years. 
and a follow-up with that. Um, has recruiting kids from Utah County changed in the time that you've been at Utah? And if so, how? It sure has. Uh, it used to be pretty much a fence around Utah County, and you couldn't get in on those guys. And now uh, we've had a lot of success with, with players from Utah County coming up here and and uh, making the transition. And, and uh, if you go back through the years, there's been uh, so many guys that have played good football for us. I think it started out with the Christensen brothers uh, way back when Kimball and Howard Christensen made the move. They were, they were guys that uh, typically would have been locks to stay in Provo and play, but, but uh, they came up here and, and uh, there's a lot of guys that have followed suit and followed in their footsteps. And, you know, I don't have a list in front of me, but I'm going to tell you there's been a lot of players from, from down there that have uh, been very successful up here. Our next question will come from Josh Furlong, KSL.com, followed by Hans Olson. Yeah, Kyle, you've mentioned several times um, that you're obviously going to need to go into maybe the transfer portal or some other means to get to uh, wide receivers in the in the offseason. You know, with with spring football and being able to see what you've you've got there, you know, has has any of your your uh, decisions changed in terms of like the types of players that you're going to recruit, or is anything that way, or or is it just more adding depth to be able to make sure that you have enough to go and fall? Well, I think it's adding the best players that are that are available, and it may not be players; it may just be one. Uh, but uh, one for certain we need, and and two would probably be the optimal number. It could creep to three, but I, I doubt that. That would be the absolute uh, ceiling on that. But uh, we just need to find the, the most productive playmakers that we can find. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an inside guy or an outside guy, uh, just production. And uh, that's, that's the, uh, you know, what we're doing now. And, and that we feel like we've got uh, a good handle on it. We've got some really good prospects. And there's going to be more. Like, like we all know, after spring ball, I think there's going to be a, another influx of uh, players into the portal. But, but uh, we'll come away with uh, – a guy or two that will help us. And that's, that's, uh, you know, that's already ongoing that, that process and that search. Following up real quick on that. How do you feel like in these, these few weeks that you've had that the players have been, how, how receptive do you think they've been to Chad Bumpus and kind of the, the message that he's able to provide while also allowing these guys to, to improve in their games? Very receptive. A lot of, a lot of positive feedback and, and uh, you know, sometimes the change is good and, and uh, just, you know, a new face and a new voice and, and I think uh, that's been the case with us, and it's nothing against uh, pass receiver coaches or Coach Holiday. They've all been outstanding, but but I think Chad has been very well received by our players, as well as Charlie Brewer. You know, that's important. That's an important thing that you're, you bring a new quarterback in, compete for that starting job. He's got a fit as well, and Charlie so far has been an outstanding fit. Our final question this morning for Coach Whittingham will come from Hans Olsen. Well, Coach, you kind of answered my question. I was going to say I really aren't – I'm not interested in a name. Just curious if there is a quarterback that is really separating themselves through the spring through four weeks. Charlie Brewer, hands down. He's, he's uh, been uh, everything we'd hope to be to this point. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's a proven bet. I mean, he's, uh, he's got a lot of experience under his belt. At the Power Five level, he's thrown for a ton of yards and won a bunch of games, and so that's what we expected. And so far, he's been exactly what we had expected. And, and uh, as he continues to digest and assimilate the offense, he gets better and better. And it's going to be a, a great battle between him and Cam this fall because they're two outstanding quarterbacks. Thank you.
There's Utah football coach Kyle Whittingham going to great lengths to not other the letters B, Y, and U in order. He avoids that at all costs. Uh, when we come back, the Masters. It's time for the draft. Who's going to win this thing? Bob Casper, next with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK and Bob Casper joins us once again. Bob, good morning. How you guys doing? It's springtime in April. Yeah, it's uh, the weather's all over the map. We're not <laughs> we're not sure when we have golf weather. We got to look out the window. Sometimes we have yeah. it. Sometimes we don't. Well, it's been nice weather, you know, the last few days. But uh, you know, it's a little chillier now. But things are beautiful in Augusta right now. They are expecting some rain, like maybe Friday or Saturday, thunderstorms and stuff. But the golf course is in pristine condition. And uh, everybody's talking about how great it is to be there in April again. So did they change the course up at all? There's not much that they've changed with the golf course. Um, We would have seen that last November. um, But uh, the golf course is definitely playing a little bit faster um, in in April because it's had that whole growing season of the overseed. Um, It was a little softer in November because of the newer grass that was coming in. And they have to, you know, they had to keep it a little bit um, moister to allow that grass to grow to get ready for April. So um, definitely, golf course playing faster. Greens are a lot firmer and faster right now, and uh, and it's early in the week, so uh, expect things to get more difficult as they as the week progresses. The idea of being hot going into this tournament has always intrigued me. Now, being hot doesn't necessarily mean you won uh, the last week or in the last month, right. but that you've been playing well. And the reason why I bring that up is because Jordan Spieth, who we, we were ready to anoint the next whomever three or four years ago, and then he went into a funk. He's been playing well. Now, he literally did win this most recent tournament here the other day. So I'm wondering, how much do you buy in the idea of playing well? Because I was talking to Mike Weir, and you go back to when he won in 2003. He buys into that theory because of the fact that he looked at himself, and he had won twice going into Masters Week. And he even brought up that when they brought in some potential winners for the pre-Masters press conferences, they didn't bring him in, and that ticked him off. And that's my kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you if uh, if you feel like you get slighted a little bit, you get a chip on your shoulder. And and Mike, you know, played phenomenally that week. Uh, the thing that was interesting about that week for Mike is um, it rained a lot, and the golf course became really, really long, and it kind of equalized distance um, with the guys that kind of hit it shorter or more technical uh, technicians with their golf game and getting the ball in the fairway and going from point to point uh, all the way through the golf course. Mike was able to, to maximize on that and and was able to win because um, 
of the situation and, and how well he was playing that week and playing that year uh, so far. Um, Jordan Spieth has played some phenomenal golf in, in his last, uh, what, six or seven starts. He's had a, a bunch of top tens, a bunch of top fives, and then just win just one last weekend at the Texas Open in San Antonio. And, um, you know, uh, he hadn't won until, uh, he hadn't won since 2017 um, and had gone through, like you said, PK, that, that slump, um, so to speak, where um, he said he just kind of, he kind of lost it and lost his perspective. But, um, but he's been able to write that ship, and it all kind of started back in Phoenix when he shot 61 in the third round um, and had a chance to win. And then he was in another final round, um, uh, final group, and had another chance to win, and then, uh, and then was able to get it done last week. So, um, I, you know, Jordan Spieth is playing some great golf. Um, this is a golf course where um, the first time he played it, he finished second to Bubba Watson. Then he won the next year, and then he finished second the year the year after that. So it's a golf course that he's had a lot of success on. Um, and uh, any time you can be playing well and you have confidence coming in uh, to a major championship and coming into Augusta, um, you, it's it's going to bode it's going to bode uh, good play or good good confidence um, in your mind. Um, and I and I think. You're exactly right. You need to be playing well. You need to be hitting it well and rounding in the form when you come into the Masters. Bob, you're a very nice guy. You know that, right? I I am? You are. <laughs> because PK has gone at you a few times over the years. You've always rolled with it. And he name drops. I was talking to Mike Weir, and you just let it go. You don't take yeah. any shots at him. You don't have any nothing. I talked to Mike Weir last Saturday, last week too. So <laughs> you yeah. didn't even try to top him. Nothing. You just no, rolled with no, him. That was, no, that was very no nice. Point. Of you. <laughs> okay, so this is uh, coming on the heels of just a really weird year, and there was a Masters just a few months ago. Yep. Uh, what does that mean for DJ when you practically just won it and you're turning around and playing it again? It's not that often. Maybe occasionally, if at a U.S. Open, is it? Pebble Beach, I guess, or something like that. But it's not that often the guys play on tour on the same course this frequently, and certainly not two majors. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, uh, this one. You know, you played in November, and five and a half months later, you played again in April. Um, they, just played, uh, the tr- uh, they just played in San Diego, and uh, we're going to see them playing in San Diego again in June. So uh, a couple of the majors this year, um, you, you've had repeat performances in, in just a few short months. So um, I think one of the things that really benefited DJ last, you know, November with the Masters is that um, the golf course did play a little bit slower. Uh, the balls were holding in the fairway better. You're not, not getting as much rollout. Um, and he had a great putting week. And because of that, he shot 20 under par and, and kind of lapped the field. Um, broke the scoring record, that kind of thing. I think this Masters is going to be a lot different. Um, the greens are going to be firmer. I think you're going to see scores under or under 10 under par. Um, and any time that happens, you're going to have to be uh, a little bit more methodical about how you play the golf course. Try to get not get yourself in positions where 
um, it's going to be difficult to get up and down. And as I've heard Ben Crenshaw say many, many times, when you get around the greens and when you get on the greens, they can be very di- diabolical at the Masters. And uh, that's what we're seeing so far um, in these practice rounds as guys are talking about the firmness of the greens and how fast they're rolling right now. So I think that's going to um, play uh, a big part of who we see as a Masters champion this year. So when I was talking to Tom Weisskopf, yeah, nice. <laughs> I played golf with Tom Weisskopf. See, that's it. Now you went right back at him and you topped him. That's more what I expected. That's, yeah, exactly. I was down at the Golf Hall of Fame with Gary Player, and we were putting together. Well, I played golf with Gary Player, too. (laughs) Vatican. Okay. This is the Bob Casper I expected. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, when I was discussing some things with Bernard Langer. (laughs) In German. When did that happen? (laughs) <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, where's he's it as far as it goes with me? That's a, that's Good. about it. I don't. I don't. Mike's a great guy. You bet. So, uh, what's the fan situation going to be there? There is going to be limited fans. Um, I, I think they're thinking about eight to ten thousand per day on the golf course. Um, they're going to have to wear masks and you know, exhibit as much social distancing as they can. But um, it's it's been very selective of, of who they want to have on the golf course. They and uh, and, you know, eight to ten thousand is going to be it's going to be fun to have um, some roars and some claps um, as compared to what we saw in November with really um, like maybe four or five hundred on the golf course in a day. Media's cut cut short uh, again, just like it was last November. Um, and uh, but I think the fan situation of the patrons, um, it's going to be awesome to have, you know, eight to ten thousand out and, and hear the hear the claps and stuff. The golf course. Also, the other thing that's really really cool is they've had a, a little bit of cool weather back there, so the azaleas and the flowers haven't quite popped yet, and um, they're. With the, with the warmth early in the week and that kind of thing, um, I think it's going to be a really beautiful on television to watch. All right, it is time for our major championship draft. I got DJ okay. at the Masters, so I'm on the board with a winner. We've all got a winner. Who's going to be the first to win their second major? I guess that's the drama. Bob, you are the guest. You get to go first. Who would you like to pick? I'm going to take, take Justin Thomas. He finished fourth in November, and he's trending the right way. <clears throat> he's trending the right way and uh, just won the Players' Championship. So um, he's got a lot of momentum coming in here this week, too. So Justin Thomas is going to be my pick for the first one. I don't like you, Bob. Sorry. No, I don't think you are. All right. You're not supposed to win on back-to-back weeks, but he's got momentum. I'm going to go ahead and take speed. That's a good pick. You know, he won... He won in Hartford and then won the Open Championship. Um, so I wouldn't put it past him if he, if he uh, you know, having won last week, if he contended or had a chance to win again this week. I'd have taken JT if he's on the board, but you're not allowing that. Good work by you. All right, PK, who do you like? Oh, I've got a personal dilemma. Do I go with Kevin? Na 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 na. Or do I go with Kevin? 
na 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 or do I just draft Kevin? Nah. So I'm not going to go with him. Okay. I guess I'll go with uh, DeChambeau. Bryson DeChambeau. Okay. It's a good pick. Because when I was working with him on distance the other day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Even to, you know, he even mentioned your name, PK, in his, uh, in his interview, uh, pre-tournament interview just a few minutes ago. He said yeah. you... You helped him a lot. You're yeah. on the team. He was only right. hitting at about 4:30 off the tee, and now he's out there at 4:45. <laughs> so, yeah. PK, exactly. thanks for those 15 extra yards there. Hey, every <laughs> yard matters. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, funny. All right, Bob. Second okay. round. Who do you like? Uh, we should Johnson. mention for people who are new to this game, Tony Finau, uh-huh. local guy who we all know, who we've all talked to. I saw his sister-in-law yesterday, blah, blah, blah. Oh, see, He's, DJ has to get in. You yeah, knew he was gonna I did. Drop. I did. He saw his sister-in-law. Well, I just, saw, I just saw him last work? week on, on Thursday at San, in San Antonio. So You win. Yeah. You win again. Yeah. All right, he's off the board because we all know and we all like him, and uh, we hope he wins, and nobody gets to take credit if he wins. So he's off the board. Yeah. All right, go yeah. ahead. Second round pick. Who Dustin do you like? Dustin Johnson. Dustin Johnson. There goes DJ. Yeah, he, uh, you know, uh, there's only three guys that have won it back to back at the Masters, uh, Faldo, um, Jack, and Tiger Woods, and maybe this will be the fourth, Dustin Johnson. Okay, I'll take uh, John Rahm. Okay, that's a good pick. His wife just had a baby last week. Yeah, that's why I'm thinking that he's going to be a little sidetracked. Okay. Uh, so, um, so now are you going about- with Kevin Na? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I just wanted to sing that, Bob. I'm supposed to be the, you know. Crazy uh, guy. The, the nuts okay. guy here, the, the loose cannon, as they say. So, man, I'm looking. I, I just, there's so many guys to choose from, and you just don't know. It's sort of like you know, picking out of a, a bag here and wondering, is that guy going to turn up? Because it could be, I think, like, there's probably 15 guys who can win it. So I'm just going to go with personal favorites, one that I root for, uh, Rory. That's a good. That's a good pick. Rory's a good pick. He struggled a little bit this year, and his, um, you know, with his with his game a little bit. He said, but, "Now listen to this." And I thought this was very telling. Um, he said that um, by trying to gain more distance, yeah. after seeing what Bryson's been able to right. do, it's kind of thrown him off. And he's got a new teacher now, too. So, And that yeah. was so insightful. We talked about that because normally you don't hear professional guys talk no. like that. Exactly. And he just brought exactly. it. He exposed himself, so to speak, and he just brought it, brought it in a real sense, and I appreciated that from him. Yeah. All right, third and final round, Bob. This is it. Oh, you- okay, third and final round. Um, boy, I'm just going through everything. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one that – you know, he's our hometown kid, DJ, and I'm going to go Xander Shoffley. Ah, San Diego. Yep. Yep. Uh, all right, um, PK's right. There's like there's a whole list of people now who, you know, who do you have a good vibe on? Um, Patrick Cantley. Yeah, that's a great pick. That's wow, a great you pick. usually really well disapprove of one of my picks. You've approved of all three. I'm a little worried. Yeah. Good pick. I like I it. I picked Cantlay last time in November. I don't know if you remember, 
but uh, I, I did pick him. So I like him very much. Uh, I can't go with Kepka because uh, he just got engaged and uh, he's had some, was it knee issues? Is that what it was? Yes. Yeah, the dislocated kneecap. Yep. Right. That right. And that seems like he's got a lot of things going on in his life right now. He's lucky that, to be here playing. So. Yeah. Right. So I can't. I. I just don't know if I can go. Uh, I. I got to see him on the course right now. So I guess I'll go with your pick. I, I'm torn between Reed and Morikawa, and I. I sort of relate to Reed in that nobody likes him. And <laughs> does that mean nobody likes you? Well. I mean, I don't want to get too personal, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> so is that your so, pick? Uh, I'm I'm torn between Morikawa and Reed. Okay. Uh, oh, man. I guess I'll go Reed. Okay. Good. All right. There it is. The draft is done. Bob, we will talk to you again Thursday, at which point the tournament will be underway. Sounds good. You're the man, Bob. We appreciate you All coming right, on. Thanks for Take dropping care. a San Diego reference in. Never a bad thing you there. Bet. You're the man. <laughs> All right, for those of you who don't know, Bob went to L.B. Allen Elementary. Look it up. <laughs> like nobody knows that. <laughs> for those of you who don't know. <laughs> Next school over from Sunnyside where I went. So for Same those bird. of you who don't know, Same on November summer. 17th, when I was four years old, <laughs> I had turkey for lunch. What? <laughs> Look it up. Look it up. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Well, I think, you know, you add a you know, Hall of Famer like Chris... Uh, to a team with such an elite talent, elite score, and, and, and Book, and a guy who's, I think, Book's taking his game to another level on both ends of the floor. They've really bought into the game defensively you know, as a team, as a unit. Uh, they've got great guys to cast around those two, and, and they've built that team very well. You know, a playoff caliber team that, that's going to be very tough to handle. So, you know, it's going to be a physical game and a cerebral game with Chris. You know, he's such a smart point guard. So, we'll have to go out there and see what we got. There's Mike Conley talking about the Suns. Very complimentary and respectful, PK. Come on, it's the top two in the West. Where's the hate? Where's the anger? Where's the chippiness? Okay, Conley, the day before the game, is the wrong guy to go to for that, isn't he? Well, I don't don't think there's any history between the two teams. I don't think anybody to go to the day before the game. Maybe the day after the game might change. Maybe there'll be an elbow. Someone will get tripped or something. Some hard foul. Top two teams in the West. Best two records in the NBA squaring off Jazz and the Suns tonight, 8 o'clock on ESPN. Pre-game show starts at 7 here, and given that the Jazz lost to Dallas, how big of a game is this against second-place Phoenix? That's the question up on Facebook, gathering comments all night, and we will get to that coming up next. Big game for the Jazz and the Suns. How big? Stay with us. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Trey gets run into by Williamson. They don't call anything. Trey's going to shoot a long one. And this time it is off the rim, off the rim, and bounces in. 
A three-pointer by Trey Young. And the Hawks take their largest lead of the night. 13 points. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, that, that should be a play. Whoa, look out. That was OG. And that is a wrestling move, taking down Schroeder. Schroeder was, Schroeder was holding him up. And I don't know what he was thinking. He actually almost ended up body slamming Schroeder. Inbound Jokic, head fake on the three, spins on Plumley, one-legged oh. jumper. Oh! One and a half seconds to go. Denver's blowed out the Pistons in the first half in Denver. Curry off a screen, takes a jumper. It's up and good! A two for Curry, just inside the arc on the left side. Warriors lead by three. Beverly in the far side of the court with a bounce pass left wing. Leonard rips through, drives left, gets to the rim. Foul is called and he makes it in. The strength of the claw on full display as Leonard will not be denied and one opportunity. All right, there's the night in the NBA. The Clippers, the Blazers, currently three in the West and six in the West, if nothing changed. And, of course, lots of things could. But if nothing changed, they would be the first-round matchup. And the Clippers took it to Portland right away and never let them back in the game. Clippers with a 47-point first quarter. Paul George had it going. He scored 36 points. And the Clippers just roll past the Blazers. PK, you applied your rule to the box score. And quickly, upon analyzing Damian Lillard's line, thought, oh, yeah, the Blazers got beat. Uh, 2 of 14, yeah. There it is. Powell had a big game to maybe offset it a little bit, but not enough, obviously. Right. Well, when you're giving up 133, you haven't left yourself much wiggle room. That is a really big number. And it started with that 47-point first quarter. So the Clippers get the W there, but they weren't the only team in the West winning. The Lakers beat the Raptors 110-101 in that highlight. You heard the scuffle there. A transition opportunity for the Raptors, and Dennis Schroeder fouled. And I didn't think it was an especially hard foul, but and Anubi did. And he uh, he dumped Schroeder onto the ground, picked up his leg. It was like a wrestling move. And he got kicked out for that. Schroeder did not, and I didn't think he should have. But Montrez Harrell got kicked out. He was not happy. He was defending his teammate, but hockey rules, PK, third man in. You're, you're putting yourself at risk. Okay. There you go. Warriors come back with a 16-5 run to close the game and beat the Bucs. Uh, Antetokounmpo did not play. They said it was a knee, so he was out. Bucks are now 3-2 and two when he sits. Steph Curry... 41 points, including in that comeback, I have to say, PK, a marvelous screen assist. Tremendous. Dang, I missed it. Yeah, he set a back screen, freed a teammate for a dunk. It was sweet. Everybody assumed he was cutting to get the ball. He set that screen and surprised everybody. Caught him flat-footed. Jokic went for 27-11. and 11. The Nuggets beat the Pistons 134-119. Seemed like they were up uh, 20 most of that game. That was pretty easy. Jokic had a ridiculous hoop. Loose ball, and he just batted the bottom of the ball up and into the hoop. Just swatted it in. What touch. Left, left the announcers. Gefine. That was pretty slick. Hawks hit 11 straight threes in the third quarter to beat the Pelicans. 123-107. 11 for 11 from three in the third quarter. Think how many games you watched where a team didn't take 11 threes in a game. And now we got a team going 11 for 11 in a quarter. Go figure. It's a new era. Celtics' troubles continue. Sixers swat them 106-96. Embiid went for 35. Celtics continue to stumble around the, the 500 mark. 
Anything else in the NBA catch your attention last night? Well, you only left out the Bulls and Pacers. So there it is. Them too. What do you mean anything else? That's it. That's the only Vucevic, thirty-two and <laughs> seventeen. Thirty-two and seventeen for Vuce. James Harden. James Harden's out ten games. Hamstring strain. Just when they're about to get Kevin Durant back, will the big three well, ever play together? It's ten days. They didn't say ten games. Ten days. You're right. Ten days. Right hamstring strain. Durant's missed 23 with a right hamstring strain of his own, but he is probable on the injury report now. So, DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. Ute freshman Ian Martinez entered the NCAA transfer portal. His dad, Henry, was an assistant on Larry Kristoviak's staff, and you'd assume he will not be an assistant on Craig Smith's staff, and so that package deal going away. Latoon, 6'10 big man, did withdraw his name from the portal. So that's the good news for the youth this, this week, I guess. Did he even play much? I... Very little. He played a little, not much. And then they got this kid from Cincinnati? Yes, three star kid. Gabe Madsen. <laughs> three star kid. You just... <laughs> that was it. I saw the release. There it is, three star kid. What do we know about Cincinnati basketball? This goes back to what you were talking about with. Recruiting nationally sounds good, and you got your uh, links in the Midwest, but we've seen a lot of Midwest kids come and go here. And uh, most of the people who have made an impact have either been local kids or uh, from the West, mostly from California. Obviously, there have been a few others. Yeah, and I think that uh, the three-star deal, I mean, I don't know if he's going to be a play as a three. What does that mean? Can a three-star kid help you? Absolutely. So I don't know what type of role he's going to have because the roster I don't think is close to being finalized. But at this point, you know, you need some players because you got probably, uh, arguably, I guess, maybe your three best players in the portal. Martinez showed a lot of uh, upside, as they say. You don't hear that word much, but potential. That's just a freshman, so that's a blow. And Allen and Plummer have indicated they're out the door too. Uh, So you need some bodies. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Steve's plugged into uh, BYU pretty well. I know it was good being out there at the pro day and uh, just had an opportunity to you know speak to his representatives, say hello to a couple members of his family quickly. And, you know, BYU put on a, a great pro day for, for the entire NFL first class organization. And it was a good day out there. That's Jets general manager Joe Douglas. Steve Young really tied into BYU. I assume that was a heck of a recruiting pitch from Steve there. Wait a second. So Jets GM Joe Douglas is saying he got to speak to some representatives of Steve Young? Is that that what that was about? I think at that point... He's talking about Wilson. I think he was talking about Wilson's reps there. There were so many pronouns. Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. But I, I know what you're thinking because I thought the same thing when he said it. And I'm Hold like, on, huh? no, he can't be. He's got to be talking about Wilson. <laughs> All right, I only know what it says here. Right? Yeah. I mean, I can't assume. I got it written down in front of me. But the, I think that I was thinking about this the other day is that Steve Young has called Zach Wilson a generational talent. And so I don't think he's saying it just because of the BYU connection. I don't think Steve would put his rep out on the line. I agree 100, 100%. 
he would phrase it differently if he liked the kid and wanted to give him a give him some help. But he would phrase it differently if he's selling it that hard, and he knows in this era everything everything's written down, everything's remembered, everything is you know clip and save. <laughs> he's not going to throw that out there unless he thinks it. It doesn't mean he can't be wrong, but right, right, right. He's not making it up. He may right. just and yeah. and also you can be a generational talent. I mean. If you don't have a team around you, you're not going to win, you know. And uh, uh, Archie Manning's a great example. And when he thought his kid was going to the wrong franchise, man, they leveraged their way out of that, and he ends up with the Giants instead of the Chargers, and they won two Super Bowls. So, well, are you suggesting you that Lisa Wilson is going to leverage Zach out of New York? <laughs> no, because I don't know if you, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know so. if you know this, but she's got 22 days before she holds hosts a draft party. And her basement is all decorated in Ute gear. You've got to look at the lady's Instagram. I mean, the, it's like I don't watch Days of Our Lives anymore because <laughs> I got Lisa Wilson's Instagram. Life according, anymore, anymore. Life that, according to Lisa is her Instagram. I mean, just when, and 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 then she's got some cheer thing DJ going on, and she just wants to go to bed and wake up and have it be July. She wants to do a little Rip Van Wilson here. And so this is, I mean, I feel for the gal. Right now, the, the type of uh, just emotion and all the struggles that she's going through, she's got, I mean, her whole basement is Ute gear because of her, her their, uh, their passion for the Utes until he, Zach, went to BYU, and then, you know, her husband played there. This is a, this is a day-to-day struggle for this lady, and... I'm just looking forward to see what, what's going on today. I guess it's sort of a day later. Uh, maybe it's in the evening and it's earlier in the day. But And my wife's friend brought it up to me. She said that she's – my wife's friend is, is like um, – not addicted. That's too strong. But she lists – she watches it every day. And my wife asked me about it because my wife, you know how much social media she does, including Facebook and whatever? Zero. Zero. She has no interest in any of this stuff. She has never been on Instagram once, and she does not have a Facebook account, none of that stuff. So I have to inform her, and I'm just – and that, that, that draft party, because um, ESPN's coming out to the home apparently – and how's that basement going to look, man? You got to do some <laughs> some heavy revamping. BYU, you got to get some gear out there because you can't have Utah being shown a BYU kid with Utah. Kalani, get on it. I guess that was yesterday, so maybe it's only if it well, it was two days ago. It might even be twenty. How many more days until the draft? Figure that out, y'all can get back to me because <laughs> the transformation best. has got to get going. We're down to three weeks now. It's usually a Thursday, Friday, Saturday deal. So isn't it uh, 20? I don't know. It's the 29th, 30th, yeah, 22 first. days from today. Yeah. So, okay. So she filled, maybe she was filled it last night, late last night. But, yeah. Got to get going, man. Get some blue, some cool Did you blue. comment on her Instagram? I mean, you're the king of It's one of your go-to this lines. This is not like And post, it's, it's actually seriously good advice. Don't wish time away. And she wants to fast forward to July, man. You gotta, you gotta savor yeah, these days. We don't know how many we got left. What do you call those things? Because they don't. They're, you can't they're her Instagram they're like little stories. Videos. Oh. So, so she, stories? she posted like a video. And it wisdom. shows a whole wall of Utah red gear. Yeah, see, like, Yaka's seen it. I've seen it. Trust me. Yeah. It's a, he's it's, see, as they say in Utah, he's I, seen it. I done seen it. Done he's seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. The only one I hadn't seen it is DJ. DJ, you should seen it. I done not seen it. 
You should oh, done see it. I stand with Mrs. Kinnan. Mrs. K and I, no, shoulder to shoulder. Oh, you know, you do social Twitter. media. Your face every time oh, I would come on in. Instagram. Oh, yeah, on Instagram, I stand shoulder to shoulder with you. Every Facebook day when I Twitter. come in, you'd be on Facebook and Facebook you, and Twitter. You live I got on Twitter. I got them up right now. I don't even have my mentions. Is that what they're called on Twitter? People are yeah. are mentioning me and stuff. I don't. I never see it, so I don't know. <laughs> I, I turned that off a long time ago. I had turned it on last week when you were gone for show purposes, but then I turned it right back off. The second you cross the state line. <laughs> DJ hits Remont. He left Snowville, didn't he? Is he here now? All right. Click. Two of the 22 women who have filed lawsuits against Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson came forward publicly during a news conference yesterday. This is Days of Our Lives, PK. There is a daily Watson update. And it feels Except like. This is serious. Yeah. Ashley Solis, lawyer Tony Busby said, was the first massage therapist to file a lawsuit against Watson on March 16th. Spoke. People say, I'm doing this just for the money. That is false. I come forward now so that Deshaun Watson does not assault another woman. Would you like to say, uh, PK? Just, that is there are allegations at this point. Yeah. Not, nothing has been proven, so I'm not going to convict the guy. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Wisconsin AD Barry Alvarez will retire effective June 30th. He's been the AD for the Badgers since 2004. He was the football coach dating back to 1990. They won three Big Ten championships, three Rose Bowls during his run. PK, before Barry Alvarez, Wisconsin just wasn't on the radar. When people talked about Big Two and Little Eight, they weren't even in the middle of a Little Eight. They were nothing. And now, and they're not Ohio State, but they're pretty good. Yeah, that's really amazing to me to think about it, having been in Madison on game day, and it's a college town all the way. It's, it's as fine a college town as I've been in, really, in terms of the town just all focusing on the game and to think that they weren't good because you'd think, man, they'd have every, everything that they have now you think they could have had then, but they didn't. And you're right, the record was horrible. And Alvarez got it going on there, and, and, you know, they're a very good program now. LSU associate AD Sharon Lewis is filing a $50 million Title IX lawsuit against the school, former football coach Les Miles, and a law firm representing the school. The suit accuses LSU officials of conspiring to cover up a sexual harassment investigation in Miles and retaliating against Lewis for reporting on the allegations. Just win. Yeah, right? Well, we'll see where this goes. A $50 million Title IX lawsuit against an SEC powerhouse. See what kind of impact that has in the long run. How that plays out. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Swinging a line drive. Base hit into right Badu! Line drive single. Castro scores. And Badu in game three delivers the walk-off. The pitch. Swing and a line drive in the center field. A base hit. Robles to third. It gets by Pache to the wall. Robles coming in to score. And an opening day. Curly W is in the books. Ryan Thompson comes to the set. He deals. Swing a drive to right field. Arizona going back, still going back. Turns, and it's over his head, and the Red Sox win the ball game. He got twisted around, didn't make the play. 
play. It'll be a two-run double for J.D. Martinez, and the Red Sox win it 6-5. Can you believe it? Boston Red Sox picking up another victory after an 0-3 start and all that. Now they've won a couple games, and P.K. spinning like a top out there in the outfield. Ball, I don't, balls have been played better than that. But it gets scored as a hit. He didn't touch it, so good enough. No, Martinez with the walk-off. Uh, yep. Well, he, put, he would have had a double, but the, I don't know if they gave it to him because I don't know if he got to second base. Uh, you also heard in those highlights at the start, that was Akil Badu, who's had an awesome start as First pitch he saw, he homered, and second then homered homer. in the second game, and then a walk-off now. So, man, just talk about the immediate impact. Just to clarify, PK, it was scored a double for J.D. Martinez. Good. I always root for my former Diamondbacks. <laughs> uh, the Oakland Athletics are a punching bag, now 0-6. Dodgers 5-1. to They hit three homers in the game. Clayton Kershaw, seven strong innings. He got him four runs early, so he had a cushion to work with. And the Dodgers just bludgeoning the athletics. Padres are going to lose Fernando Tatis Jr. on a 10-day IL, but it could have been worse. It could have been surgery. They've opted not for the surgery for his shoulder subluxation. They won without him. They beat the Giants 3-1. to Victor Caratini with a two-run homer to snap a 1-1 tie and get the W there. Padres a game behind the Dodgers early on. And the Astros, good things happening for them early this year. Carlos Correa with a two-run homer in the ninth. And the Astros are off to a 5-1 and one start. You also heard uh, Juan Soto's uh, walk-off in there as the Nationals beat the Braves 6-5. to five, And they sidelined by COVID-19, but now they're playing and they got a W. What is Trending brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. No job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up, Jazz. Suns, top two records in the NBA, and they're squaring off tonight. How big a game is this for the Jazz coming off the loss to Dallas? We will get to that next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hot Texas Toast brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. Check out the bold new lineup at Jerry Seiner Cadillac. It's definitely not your grandpa's Cadillac. All right, given that the Jazz lost to Dallas, how big of a game is it? Tonight against second place Phoenix, two best records in the NBA. Rob says it's very big. They need to keep some distance between them and the two seat. Perhaps losing to Dallas will wake them up and they will play with a purpose. I thought they played with a purpose in Dallas. I thought they missed a lot of open shots. Uh, Granted, it melted down late in the third quarter, but there was a long stretch there. Thought they did play with purpose, even though they were losing and right, missing well, a bunch of threes. Well, it doesn't matter now. That game's over. 
Uh, it's all about going to, the, to this game tonight. I think the important thing that they need to be aware of, and they probably are, is that Phoenix absolutely believes it's a big game. And with that in mind, you need to make sure that you have your energy and your focus and concentration and attention and all that stuff uh, as soon as you get up this morning because Phoenix is thinking this is a big, big deal. And the town is excited for the Suns. Uh, As far as a pro team, it originally was a Suns team, a Suns town, I mean. And uh, so people rally around them. And they haven't been able to rally around them. It's like the youth basketball program. Yeah, youth basketball is a big deal to those who are interested, but they haven't given them much to be interested in for a good number of years. And once they do, the the youth fandom in the Huntsman Center again will be alive. There's no doubt in my mind. It's the same type of deal on a bigger scale at the pro level in Phoenix. Is that this is a Suns town originally? You know, the Cardinals and NFL are a big deal, and really any pro team that wins is a big deal. If you win at a high high level that town becomes whatever team that is doing the winning. So you can say that if the Diamondbacks rocked or the Coyotes in hockey, then there'd be enough people that would be behind them for sure. Uh, so uh, that, that always happens. But I think the passion for the Suns has been dormant for a number of years because the team has sucked. They've made so many horrible moves, the owner being cheap and all this stuff. Well, clearly they've gotten past that, So, at least for now anyway. And so the, the game and the town and the team are going to be excited about this game. And I think the Jazz need to be aware of that because if they're not, it could sort of blitz them in the way that uh, Baylor blitzed Gonzaga uh, at that point. Now, this is a professional team, so getting down 10 before the first media timeout certainly is not in the end of the world uh, because it, that's nice. But in the, for one thing, the NBA game is eight minutes longer, so you've got a longer time to come back. But I just think they need to be aware of what the Suns are thinking and make sure that they match the energy. If you shoot the ball well, great. That's going to help a lot. But match the energy. Nate says it's not a big game. The Jazz will choke in the playoffs like usual anyway. Nate, that's just a big load of depressing news right there. Well, that's why it makes it even a bigger game then if they're going to choke in the playoffs. At least have some regular season success. Yeah. For some horrible playoff disappointment. And and also, too, you know, I think just psychologically, when you've held on to the number one seed as long as this team has had it, and then don't get it if that should be the case. I don't think that'll be the case. But if it should be the case, I think psychologically that would be a bad look because in order for you not to get it after you've held it this long, that means you're not playing well. And so if that's the case, you're going to go into the postseason not on any form of a run, which is not good. So I think that you want to have that number one seed at this point because of the fact that that would mean that you're not playing well. Because I don't think that the Suns can catch the Jazz unless the Jazz stumble. And, I mean, losing two or three games out of 22 left is not stumbling, right? So it's not like that they could could still play well and have the Suns overtake them. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Suns will have to play well, yes. But I also think for the Jazz to not get the number one seed – they would have to stumble. So you'd have to have those two things combined, the Jazz stumble and the Suns play really, really well. And obviously you don't want to be stumbling going into the postseason. 
And that makes this a big game because if you lose this game, you're only one game up in the loss column. And at that point, it's a race. And you do have one more game left with these guys down the road. Win this, push the lead back to three and a half games. It'd be back to three in the loss column. Tiebreaker would rest on that third meeting, uh, which is still, I think, about a month away. So that makes this a big game. Robert labels it the biggest of the season. Well, until the next one comes along, but I'd give you the biggest one to date. What's the biggest one so far? The Milwaukee game you were talking about yesterday because they were 4-4 and and it launched the 11-game win streak? In terms of a win, I think you can go down that road. They played the Clippers there uh, a few weeks back when they had the back-to-back thing, and the Clippers got their guys back. Oh, okay. And and they lost that game. Yes, they did. But the point being, and they they played well. It's not like they got run off the court or anything. The point there, I see some similarities. The Clippers – I think it was was it like a Wednesday, Friday, or whatever mm-hmm. it was. It was, and and so the Wednesday game, uh, at least one, if not both, of the stars didn't play, and so it was sort of a built-in loss. Well, then you saw the second game when they got their guys back. The Clips were really amped for the game, and I think that the Jazz are going to face the same level of ampness, so to speak, from the Suns. We 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 talked about this now for a few weeks. The Jazz have a lot to prove in the postseason. Well, the Suns have even more because however many doubters there are for the Jazz in the postseason, I'd say double and triple that from the Suns' perspective. I mean, you're really looking at Chris Paul, who hasn't had a ton of playoff success, and then Booker, and then nobody else. It seems like whenever I see a discussion of the West – it always starts with the L.A. teams. <clears throat> then there's a mention of the Denver, and lately, early there wasn't, <clears throat> when they talk about the Jazz, it's, well, are the Jazz really a contender? And they never even ask the question about the Suns. The Suns just get ignored. And I've seen that over and over. How many halftime shows or how many games you watch when you watch on national TV. And so, to your point... The Jazz get questioned nationally, and it irritates Jazz fans, but the Suns, they're not even ending up in the discussion. I don't, I, don't, I don't see the TNT and ESPN crews sitting around like, well, can the Suns take down the Clippers in a second-round matchup? Nobody even talks about it. Off the radar. Yeah, i got to put Jay Crowder in there as far as a little bit uh, getting attention, maybe not nobody after uh, Paul and Booker. But I do think when the Suns are discussed, it's not really the Suns, it's Paul and Booker. Yeah. It's those two. Booker's a, and he's an elite-level scorer. This is the first time. He's been in the league, what, four or five years now? And this is the first time he's played on a team that's won 35 games. That's brutal. <laughs> that yeah. is a brutal stat. Yeah, I heard but it goes back cause... to the Suns has been nothing for Suns fans to rally around. And right. they had that one season, Jeff Hornacek was coaching, and they won the 48 or 49 games, whatever it was, you know, 40, high 40s, and didn't make the playoffs. And he wasn't there yet. And that's the only decent season they've had in the last 10. The other nine have just been a mess. Right. And I listened to uh, Phoenix Sports Radio to try to get a feel yesterday when I went to the gym to get a feel for tonight's game because the Suns weren't playing, and they were talking about it for sure. It was one of their lead. Well, they had just played the night before against Houston, so it was their lead, uh, the midday show. I got to the gym about 11 o'clock, and it was the midday show, which starts at 10 like ours does, 
10 to 2, same type of hours, uh, but the hour behind us there because they're they don't change the clock. So it was 10 o'clock, and that was their lead story coming in right off the bat. It was the Suns win the night before against Houston and then looking forward to the Jazz game. And they brought that up, that Booker has not played on a team that's won this many games because they've sucked. And Chris Paul is getting a ton of run, uh, and he's late, late in the NBA life for sure. Uh, so he's getting a lot of credit as far. I think the team was more – was more poised to be better this year, uh, even if they would have uh, kept Rubio. I think they were poised to be better, but uh, at Rubio, uh, Paul is better than Rubio. We all obviously understand that. So they would have been better no matter who they had, because they're just get they're they're, they're maturing to an extent. Now they add Paul, who you know he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. I think we all agree on that, and so he's helped them tremendously. There's no doubt about it. So Chris Paul is getting a lot of run. There's nothing more that he would like to, uh, after he's been shuttled around from team to team here, uh, to, I don't want to say finish it on the right note, because I assume he's going to come back next year, but really draw out whatever this team has, how good this Phoenix Suns team is. So far, they're pretty good. As far as postseason, I don't know. But whatever they have, he would like to draw that out of them. And he would leave a nice legacy in Phoenix, even though he'll just be there for a short time. So, yeah, I believe this is a big game, a lot of attention. And I think the, the fact that it's on ESPN and all that stuff, it gives a little more extra juice. They have won. The Suns have won six in a row and nine out of ten. They, okay. they had a slow start to their season, kind of what we were talking about before the Dallas game. The Suns were eight and eight. And with, you know, Chris Paul being new and some young guys to bring along and blah, blah, blah. But they figured out, and now they go 27-6 and six over 33 games. That is some excellent basketball. You know, you're playing, you're playing winning over an 800 clip since uh, late January. You were playing some excellent basketball. We talked about the Jazz 4-4 four and four start, but the Suns were 8-8 eight and eight before they got it rolling. Mm-hmm. All right, we got more people... Weighing in here, um, Kevin says, it's big. They are all big. You buying that? Or they're not all big. Orlando wasn't big. They're not all big. There's some teams just playing out the string down the stretch. I think it would have been big if you lost. Uh, Then it would have been big. It would have been a big loss because of the fact that you're playing some of these teams that aren't in a position to compete with you. Uh, so do what you need to do, and that's just run them out of the gym, and that's what they did. So it wasn't necessarily a big win, but it would have been a big loss because it would have been a completely and totally unexpected loss. You would have given away something that's supposed to be yours. Now, obviously, they didn't, so it doesn't matter. Uh, But these games now, uh, particularly when you go up against teams in the West, because the playoffs are in sight. And so it just uh, doesn't mean everything. No. Does it mean something? Yes. Does it mean something more than if you're playing Cleveland or Toronto or Charlotte or whomever from the East? I believe it does. Yes. I believe there's a little more heightened awareness into these games that you can draw something upon these games when you go up against teams from the West if you should play them in the postseason. And plus, you can also sort of like a conference schedule in football. You know, we beat you, you beat us, but we beat them, and you lost to them. You know, so maybe you can draw, just, at least from a discussion, from a talk radio standpoint, I think so, uh, for now. 
and maybe it comes to pass, then we get to the postseason. Yeah, it does. Maybe it doesn't. But for now, it does. And I don't know that they're necessarily all big going forward because once you get down to the final two weeks, if spots are solidified in the playoffs, you see some teams rest guys. Obviously, we've seen that a number of times. We haven't seen it as much. But, but we're not there yet, so I don't know how it's going to be this year. So with that in mind, maybe they aren't. But that's not now. Today, Phoenix, big. It's huge. The Jazz need to keep the lead in the West. That's Brad's take. He wants them to be his, be the one seed. Uh, but Brian says from a statement standpoint, it's really big. But in the grand scheme of things, not that big. A month or so ago, with the L.A. teams on our heels for second and third, but first place was huge then. Now we can slip to second, and it might not hurt too much. Yeah, but I think that's just a bad look. Slip. With 22 games, do I want to slip? Especially because you've beaten a bunch of teams that either aren't playoff teams or just barely playoff teams and aren't going to go anywhere. And now you're playing three games in a row against teams that are in, have good records, have a chance to advance, and you lost to Dallas. If you lose this, you know, from the schedule standpoint – the hard game was the one tomorrow. Portland's going to be at home. They have a day off. You're on the second night of a back-to-back. You may really you know, spend a lot of energy and leave it all out on the floor and all that stuff in Phoenix. So these first two games, you're going in, similar schedule, day off before, good enough. So you're 0-2, and man, it's not that you can't win in Portland. Certainly Jerry Sloan would want no excuses and not want to hear about the back-to-back and all that stuff, but it seems like you got a built-in disadvantage there. Uh, yeah, for the short term, sure. Uh, that uh, well, compared to tonight, so I buy that 100%. Compared to tonight, uh, you do, but Portland in the standings, I don't really think Portland is a threat to you and what you're trying to achieve in the standings. And you know, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Portland catches uh, big time uh, fire and, and just. Jumps up. I don't, I don't see that. But also, too, DJ, I think you have to acknowledge with the Nuggets winning, uh, the lead down in the Northwest Division is to six games. And you don't want it to drop to five and a half. There it is, the old Northwest Division. <laughs> I look at it every day, multiple times. The Western well, you're Conference You're wasting time leftovers. on Twitter. I'm looking at the Northwest Division standings. When they put those divisions together... You know, that geographically, hey, let's get the California teams together and we'll put Phoenix in there. And Southwest, we got the Texas teams and New Orleans is right there. And then it, they got to the Northwest Division, it's just the leftovers from Portland to no, Utah not. to Minnesota to Oklahoma. Oklahoma's not in the Northwest, PK. I don't think fans Atlanta think Utah's Braves in the Northwest. In the, yeah, I know. That was Atlanta ridiculous. The Atlanta Braves were in the NL West. Yeah, and the Atlanta Falcons. Dallas Cowboys are still in the NFC East. That's just And you're talking the, to me about that? They're throwing their weight around. They want all those New Yorkers in Texas to come out to their game. That's a big deal to them. And do you don't anything. think the Oklahomans want Utahns together? No, I really don't Look think Look at they the care. rival we've, we've built with Barry Trammell. <laughs> we have no rivalry with Barry Trammell. <laughs> sure we do. A rivalry. I gave him a ride. I gave him a ride in my car when last time they played each other in the playoffs. And you, the tension. We drove from the practice site over to the arena. The tension and just that two mile drive. Oh, (laughs) it was palatable. (laughs) All right, DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven five at twelve eighty. The zone. The master starts Thursday. We got to give away another golfer. Yak. Who do you want to give away right now? 
As I grab my trusty sheet here, let's give away Matthew Fitzpatrick. All right, it's a You Win a Golf Masters giveaway. If you're calling 12 right now at 855-340-ZONE, you get Matthew Fitzpatrick, you get, uh, you get him for this year's Master. If he wins, you'll receive the same brand of driver that he's got in his bag. Call in now at 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-9663. It's all brought to you by You Win a Golf, serving Utah golfers since 1971. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Brian Taylor joining us, Real Golf Radio. So the appetizer starts with pigs in a blanket. That's delicious. And you got to hand it to Dustin Johnson to put pigs in a blanket on a Masters Club dinner. Like, is there a more prestigious in all of sports dinner? club and he goes with pigs in a blanket and then oh by the way just class up the joint we're gonna go lobster and corn fritters and look we all enjoy pigs in a blanket i just don't know if that's uh, a master's dinner that's all i've got the image of me eating like four of those just before i get into my flay with lobster tail and how that would be i like how you're like pair well you're like hey bring more of those over here <laughs> <laughs> hey faldo can i have yours yeah <laughs> i'm hungry Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now. You can save thousands on a new roof. Call pound 250 and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. I got another reason why I think this is a huge game tonight because. You don't want the Suns to catch you, right? That's obvious. We all agree on that. Yes, you've been number one for a long time. You don't want to give it away now. The point I was making that the Suns can't get it on their own. They need the Jazz to falter because, and I'm looking at the the guy uh, who does the midday show down in Arizona at the station I listen to. He used to be a longtime sports columnist for the Arizona Republic, and now he's strictly with the radio. But he writes a, a thing like I do, and they promote it and all that stuff. Uh, and he wrote, um, reading, his, his name's Dan Bickley. The Suns' breakthrough season becomes a gauntlet on Wednesday, four games a week until the end of the regular season, including six back-to-back contests. Their, sco- their closing schedule is currently ranked the fourth hardest in the NBA with an opposing winning percentage of 537. So the point I'm making here is there's no way the Jazz can play well and not get the first place seed. The only way the Suns get it is if the Jazz stumble. The Jazz, the, the Jazz, the Suns would have to play well too, but the Jazz would have to stumble, and that's not good. That's why you don't want you don't want to say, well, the two seed. You know what does it really matter? I understand that to a degree, but I think it's a bad look at this point, if you don't get the number one seed. It is a bad look, and I think it only happens if Phoenix wins these head-to-head games. I mean, the, what you said is there, there aren't that many games left. The Jazz would have to play really poorly. And now you add in this fact about the Suns' schedule down the stretch. The Suns' path to the one seed involves beating the Jazz twice. And on top of that, possibly the Jazz playing poorly because – with the Suns playing this good a schedule, I mean, can they really run the table with that many back-to-backs? You would think not. No. So their only path, the Suns' only realistic path to the one seed is they got to beat the Jazz twice. That gets them within a game and a half, and then they have to outperform the Jazz even though they got the tougher schedule. But it gets yeah, them I don't know what, to within how, a game and a half, and they'd have the tiebreaker. How much I want to extend Chris Paul down the stretch. 
because clearly he's the one missing piece. Now, they didn't have Crowder last year either, and I don't want to discount him, but he's a streaky shooter. He provides toughness. We've seen it here, but he is extremely streaky uh, as far as that. When he's on, yeah, it's a good, the, the bucket looks huge, uh, but he's not always on, obviously. So you, Chris Paul, is the big difference, and he's also, what, 35 years old? I don't know how crazy you want to go as far as putting him in the position of having to play all these back-to-backs and all this stuff. Uh, my guess is Phoenix isn't going to go nutso to get the number one seed themselves. So they're probably going to lose a few games, right? I would think. I, mean, I don't know if they're going to keep up this pace. They finished last year 8-0, and zero, <laughs> so uh, they're, they're winning. If you, count, you can't really count that last year because Paul wasn't there, but – They've been winning at an extremely high level here, and uh, that's great for them. But you got to make sure that Chris Paul is ready to go because Chris Paul goes down at any level, any form of injury that impacts him, this team is toast. Well, he's had a lot of those in the postseason. We have seen him pull up lame, hamstrings, whatever, with the Clippers, with Houston. Seems like almost every year, doesn't it? It probably isn't, but it just seems like it. It yeah. does seem like a regular occurrence, yes. <laughs> and there's no way they can have any level of success that they would like without him. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Then, I mean, it's easier for the Jazz to do because of the depth they have. And the Jazz, yeah, 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 had no the, you know, Conley's had injuries. He's had a, he had a boatload. He had some serious stuff going on in Memphis. Now, he had surgery, took time off. He's had, you know, I don't Pretty minor this year. He did miss 20 games last year. That was pretty significant. But they're giving him off the second game of back-to-backs, you know, to make sure that he's healthy. Right. A, it's smart, and B, they've got enough players. You know, basically you just increase Joe Ingles' role, right? But they don't don't have a Joe Ingles, you know. So they don't. Well, what are they going to do, right, in in Phoenix? Now, they, they may just decide, hey, if we lose, we lose, but we're not running Chris Paul into the ground because... If, right. Whatever we know of their injury history, they've dug it up game by game, and their management has memorized it. So we'll see how they handle him down the stretch. I would assume there's time off for him. Right, and so that just increases my theory that in order for the Jazz to not get the number or the Suns to get the number one seed, the Jazz really have to stumble because I would think that the Suns would take care of Chris Paul and not go crazy with those six back-to-backs. I think the Jazz have four. Uh, six, I think, six when you have 20-some games left in the low 20s. That's a fair amount of back-to-backs. Yeah, it is. It is. And the thing is that they'll have to be ready. And I do think there's a difference between one and two. Now, you don't know for sure, but because you don't know who wins that 7-8 game because seven and eight can flip. It doesn't matter if there's a one-game difference or a five-game difference. When seven play it and he's playing a tournament, whoever wins the game is seven. But Dallas is playing well. Assuming they stay in the seventh spot, They'll probably win that 7-8 game. And Dallas is going to be a much tougher matchup than whoever 8 is, whether it's Memphis or whoever else can play their way in there through that, that tournament, however that shakes out. You know, maybe it'll be the Warriors. Uh, but I think Dallas, with Doncic, with the playoff experience they got last year, forcing the Clippers to six games, and I think you'd rather be one than two. I think the the first round. By the time you get to the second round, you know, it's on, and there aren't going to be any easy matchups, I wouldn't think. I agree with all of what you just said, yeah. All right, DJ and PK. Masters Preview with Brian Taylor. Real Golf Radio coming up. We'll see what he 
He thinks of our draft picks. We'll run that by him. Next, DJ and PK, Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, former BYU assistant and a Utah staff member at 8.30, right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The Masters getting underway. This is the week, people. Gear up. It's Azaleas. It's Augusta. And it's Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio. Join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This You Into Golf Masters update with Brian Taylor is brought to you by Mountain Land Supply, Zions Bank, Hoops Vision, Siegfried and Jensen, and Black Desert Resort. Now, here's Real Golf Radio's Brian Taylor. Brian, welcome in. Thanks for joining us. We're ready to talk some golf. But first, I want to talk food. <laughs> so we've heard the promo, if you didn't hear the interview live, and you were talking with, uh, with Scotty and Hans about uh, DJ and the pigs in a blanket. Once upon a time, doing radio a long time ago, and I, I think it was in the early days with PK, but it, it might have been way back with Gordon and Ron Boone. But whatever, somehow it was, DJ, what would you order with the Masters? And I had a few of my favorite foods, and somebody said, that sounds like what you get at Chuckarama. And everybody had a good laugh at my expense. I couldn't help but listen to that and say, pigs in a blanket and lobster? I took a lot of grief for a lot more. But does DJ take any grief for that? Or once you have the green jacket, it's like you're, uh, you're grief-proof, you're bulletproof. You can order whatever you want. Pigs in a blanket yeah. and lobster? Yeah. Where in America would you get that other than the champion's dinner at Augusta? <laughs> I would say that's probably one of the more casual items on maybe the uh, most prestigious dinner in sports, right? I mean, pigs in a blanket. I mean, that, by the way, I was, if it was back in the, uh, the the Gordon Monson and Ron Boone era, I was probably producing that show. So uh, yeah. there's probably some tape of that somewhere. But <laughs> any, anyway, I yeah, I mean, pigs in a blanket, the way I grew up was, uh, was about as rudimentary as you could get. You'd pop open the old Pillsbury dough tube, you know, make the pop and then wrap that wrap a hot dog in one of that, that dough and, and bake it for 15 minutes or something. That's pigs in a blanket. From what I was able to see from the uh, posts from the Masters is apparently it was kielbasa in a puff pastry, which is a, a bit of a stretch for what I would call pigs in a blanket. It looked a whole lot fancier than, than that. But, but, yeah, I mean, leave it to DJ, right? I mean, he, he, DJ loves the sandwiches. Uh, there was a video of him last week making up his own version of a – pimento cheese and and how he likes to do it and and that type of thing so you know he if it was up to dj he'd probably just as soon uh serve serve some plain master sandwiches out there at the dinner but that that's i mean he's a he's a southern guy he's a casual guy he's a pretty simple dude and and he's just you know he, he doesn't need a whole lot to be happy yeah that's the essence uh golf digest had a big story on him and that was the whole essence of him it's just golf and he took that mindset, and he's been able to play better. It's a big story about Mike Weir. I think Feinstein wrote it, too, if you should get Golf Digest, which I do. So I read it the other day talking about Mike and his life, which we've chronicled here. As far as Dustin Johnson goes, in my mind, I want to get your opinion of this. In my mind, to me, if he's on, now you got to be on, obviously, but if he's on, he is the best player in the world, and he will win it. Well, it's hard to argue with that, you know, I mean, especially right now, you know, we, we've had conversations around this. If you took, you know, these players at their best, all with their A game, who would you pick? And it's an interesting discussion. I think a lot of us, a lot of us 
point to Rory McIlroy when we're having those conversations, but Rory's out of sorts a little bit right now. So um, that doesn't mean he can't get it back this week or he hasn't able to find something, but he kind of went down that uh, rabbit hole chasing Bryson and got lost, uh, didn't leave the breadcrumbs as Bryson talked about that, that he left uh, when, when he went down that hole to make sure he could get back out if he needed to. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, Dustin Johnson is, is, um, is an amazing talent. The fact that he's only won two majors, is a bit of a head scratcher. I mean, he's, he's probably he's not probably, he is the most consistent player in the last two decades on the PGA tour with at least one win every single year. It's phenomenal what DJ has been able to do with his career. And yet I don't think he's even peaked. That's, that's the, that's the amazing thing about DJ is I don't think anybody that follows the game would suggest that DJ has peaked. And so I, I think, I think he has a, a lot more to win and, and could be a, a Phil Mickelson type player that wins the masters you know, later in his career and ends up having a, a whole major career, you know, late late in his 30s and into his 40s. Most people love to second guess. I'm going to give you a chance to second guess. Are you ready? I want to, okay. I want to rip right through these. I want you immediate reaction, very quick, just jump in. We have a uh, master's draft with Bob. It's three rounds, three guys, nine players, females off the board. He's a local guy. Everybody knows him. Everybody wants him to win. So he's everybody's pick. So he's the 10th guy, but we can't draft him. Okay, so here's a nine. Quick reaction. Are you ready? Yep. Justin Thomas. Pick him. Jordan Spieth. Pick him. Bryson DeChambeau. I don't pick him. D, uh, Dustin Johnson, you've already talked about. John Rahm. Yep. Rory McIlroy. Mm, question mark. Xander Shoffley. You pick him. Patrick Cantley. Mm, question mark. Patrick Reed. Question mark. <laughs> There's our nine. So uh, Bob took Justin Thomas right out of the gate. I took Jordan Spieth and PK hit DeChambeau. And then the second round, it was uh, Bob <laughs> with DJ. I took Rom and PK took Rory. And then Bob finished up with Xander and I took Cantley and PK took Reed. So who's going to so win? Pretty much. I pretty much said uh, PK was questionable on every one of his picks. Let me let me just say this, PK. Um, Bryson has finished his lowest finish was as an amateur, and he tied for twenty first. He's never had a top twenty five finish as a professional. I I just don't know if he's you know. And look, Phil Mickelson it took him a long time to figure out Augusta, and he was a much better player than DeChambeau. I just think there's a combination that you have to figure out. There's there, there's power, sure, power is important, but. The, the thing that surprises me so much is that as the, for as all the scientific approach that, that DeChambeau takes to the game of golf, um, like driving and distance itself is probably the least most important thing when it comes to Augusta. I mean, I, I don't want to minimize it. It helps. But he's, figured, he's trying to figure out how to take it over the trees out of bounds on one and draw it over the bunker to leave himself a little wedge shot when he really needs to be figured out where do I need to leave it in what spots to attack, which areas of the green and, and where not to miss it. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to, you know, over the years I was, I was privileged to sit with Billy Casper at Augusta and we're watching on the monitor and, and him describe, you know, different areas and different shots. And, you know, and, and that's why I love Justin Thomas and, and his chances because what he's essentially do, did is he found, is he, in his words, I, thought I was lucky enough to be in that group with Tiger and Fred Couples in these practice rounds. And so he says, I just follow them around like a puppy dog. If they drop at a certain spot and they hit chip shots, as soon as they're done, I walk over and drop it in that same spot and hit chip shots. If they're putting from over here, I walk over and putt from over there. And so it's helping him to learn and understand and figure out this 
unique combination about the golf course. So I, I look, I don't fault you for picking Bryson DeChambeau. The guy's number five player in the world, and he's a reigning U.S. Open champ. And you know, he's got ten, uh, distance for days. And, and certainly, maybe there's something up his sleeve, and he breaks through and wins. And nobody would discount that. I mean, he's a he's a he's, an ama- he's a great great player, world world player. But it just and by the way, he, he's coming in a little more humbly to the Masters this this time than he did back in November when he popped in with a lot of bravado and, and kind of got shot down. So, um, but, but he is an interesting one. And, and the fact that when I look at trends for the Masters, he's not necessarily trending in a way that I would suggest he's ready to win there. Right, but you got to understand, Brian, I pick last. I'll let the <laughs> other guys have it. That somehow I've been slotted. As last, which is the story of my life, obviously. I'm assigned last. And two years ago, I picked Tiger, and nobody picked him. So it, it's sweeter Man. when I win. You know, anybody, oh, I'm going to take Dustin Johnson. I'm going to take Justin Thomas. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. Okay. I mean, those are obvious. I got to go off the beaten path a little bit. And what I think is going to make the difference is – Earlier in the week, Bryson DeChambeau was on the range, and standing next to him was Vijay Singh. (laughs) And I once was in the same workout room at the JW Marriott in Vegas with Vijay Singh early on a Saturday morning. The two of us were in there. He had his personal trainer. I was wearing, of course, a a sleeveless tank top, and we both worked out together. And Vijay told Bryson, and I think this is the key, he told him that he wasn't swinging hard enough. He was swinging too easy. So he's going to swing harder, and that's going to make the difference. He's not going to have to go over any trees because he's going to hit the ball so freaking hard, he's going to go through the trees. So if I'm connecting the dots here, somehow with VJ standing on the range next to Bryson and the fact that you worked out in a tank top with he and his personal trainer at the J-Dub some time ago, that is going to all come together in the cosmos and he's going to be wearing a green jacket at the end of the week. I'm You're following you. focused I'm like a laser. You totally understand this story. I know. I, I can't believe I missed it in the beginning. I should have never underestimated you, PK. My, my apologies right off the bat. Yes, he was down there to play – in the Vegas tournament, and I was down there to go to a Jimmy Buffett concert that night. And there it is, Jimmy Buffett. I, I mean, I'm, I'm smacking myself in the head. What am I thinking? And Jimmy's long off the tee himself, so. <laughs> <laughs> Which surprises me because he's more of a laid-back fellow. You'd think he'd be, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, a little softer off the tee with all that laid-back stuff. So. <laughs> Let me just fill you in on one detail on PK's whole story there. He does pick third. He volunteered to pick third. He was laying a trap. He wanted to go three. <laughs> he picked Tiger. Tiger wasn't, if you remember, it's not like Tiger won eight times on tour going into that. And mm-hmm. Bob had pumped Tiger up forever. It was a total trap. He took Tiger. Tiger won. And PK just roasted. I mean, he just tortured <laughs> poor Bob. It was a thing of beauty. It was a work of art. He's playing the victim now. But I'm telling you, sly like a fox, he knew what he was doing all along. Let's let Bob go first. He's the guest. And so Bob does go first all the time. And I go second because PK knows I don't know what I'm doing. And so he'll probably get his guy at third anyway. And then he gets to play the victim and win. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> and then that night when Tiger... Tiger went one when he won. I went and bought a tiger hat, a tiger shirt, and I had black pants, and I looked like Tiger 
I uh, did my Tiger impression that night on Channel Two. Yeah, no, you had it right the first time. You do look like Tiger. I mean, I mean, just from that workout all those years ago. <laughs> nice. Tiger, nice. Yeah. <laughs> hey, on a serious note about DeChambeau, though, I'm flicking around yesterday and I hit some of ESPN's master coverage. Right, they got Andy North down there with Scott Van Pelt, and they're talking about a bunch of stuff. And then they go to DeChambeau, and they've got video of him on the range. And he's calling for a golf ball. I mean, it looks like straight out of the movies, right? You're going to try to hit 10 in a row over the water. I mean, is it just tin cup and you're Kevin Costner? And he's putting it down. He's teeing up. And he is lashing. It looked like a boxing workout. He is just like sweats flying off him. Like, like he's into Patrick Ewing all-time sweating territory. I'm starting to sweat, and I'm just sitting in a chair watching TV. And they come back to Andy North, and Andy North is laughing, and Andy's like, <laughs> I love that. He didn't actually love it. It entertained him. He didn't love anything about it. And, you know, he's got all the worries you think he might have, but it entertained him. He wants DeChambeau to do well. You can tell he thinks it's a story and he thinks it's interesting, but he also thinks it's not the way to go. Is I mean, we all saw Tiger. We heard people say Tiger's body is going to break down, and then Tiger's body did break down. Is it just inevitable? Are we just counting the weeks and the months until DeChambeau does? Yeah, I mean that that's been the question. I've I've heard it mentioned on Golf Channel, ESPN, you know, amongst everybody is saying, you know, is that sustainable? Is going that hard sustainable because golf is much more of a marathon, you know, type career than a than than a sprint. I mean, you you know, guys play for a couple of decades out there or more. And um yeah, you know, I look at Brooks Kepka. Maybe we'll talk about him, but I mean, Brooks is playing this week and he had knee surgery three weeks ago, right? I mean, you know, that, that's as fit of a guy as you could have. Tiger, you know, when, when his book came out in, the, in 2000-ish, like The Way I Play, or I think is what it was called, he talked about snapping the left knee in order to generate power. And, you know, he's had a dozen, half a dozen knee surgeries on that knee because of that, that motion. And, you know, there, and yet he was real wiry back then too. And then every, everyone's everyone's lifting and bulking, and and I'm not going to suggest that's not the way to go. But it it is interesting to me when you just sit back and look at it. The Phil Mickelson, you know, sort of the anti-Tiger, the anti-Deshambo. You know, he he's the one that's been able to stay healthy this whole time, and he has more of a long, fluid, more lanky style golf swing than the loaded up and go all after it. Now, now Phil has been chasing it. He's got his coffee workout and he's losing weight and he's, you know, he's trying to chase speed and quote unquote hit bombs. I get it. And that's, that's just, that's Phil bravado. But at the end of the day, he's got a fairly smooth swing and he's been able to have a, a, a nice long career. So can DeChambeau sustain it? It doesn't seem like it. I mean, just watching that, my back hurt like most people. Um, and that was a drill, by the way. I watched him again this morning, early this morning on the range, and he was swinging much more controlled, more normal-looking golf swing than that. That was a speed drill that he does, and it certainly was for effect. Uh, and I thought Hans' comment was, was – and Scott, Scott Gerard's comment was great. He's just kind of trying to get in everybody's kitchen with all that, you know, and get in their heads like he did with Rory. But um, I, I can't think that that kind of going hard at it with a golf swing – your body's just not made to do the things a golf swing does. And so the harder you go, the I think the shorter your career is. Okay, but so what? If he has 14 majors and 80 wins and he's done by 38, doesn't he? every single PGA golfer sign up for that and say, oh, 100%. absolutely? 100%. But I don't, I mean, like, like I said, you know, it, to, the, to, to this point, the results aren't there. Yeah, he blew the field away at Wingfoot. That was, 
that still is a head scratcher, by the way. Um, and Rory came out and, and tried to talk that away with, you know, hey, the longer wedges, you know, and he comes in so steep, he's able to get more, um, more, more angle into the rough and be able to create more, more, uh, more speed through the ball out of that rough, which, you know, that type of thing. But so, okay, maybe he unlocked something there, right, that particular week. But, but to me, I, don't, I mean, I don't see him going out there week in and week out dominating the field. There's players that are taking a much more conservative approach that are being more successful and more consistent. So to me, it hasn't proven to be the thing yet. Uh, and and by the way, I, I, it has proven to screw up one of the best drivers of the golf ball in in recent history in Rory McIlroy. So I don't think it's something that everyone's going to completely jump on board with. But I do think that younger players now, I mean, it, there's there's got to be something to say. Hey, hit it as hard as you can. We'll figure the rest out later. I do think that's a bit of a of a change in philosophy as opposed to figure out how to hit it straight and then we'll we'll lengthen the swing and increase the distance. So it, that that part of it, I think, is is definitely a change. All right, your guy. You didn't draft with us, but you know you do want to call your shot. So if you got anything, anybody, because we draft these nine guys, but honestly, more tournaments than not, and we, we just do it for the majors, more often than not, though, the winner is not one of the nine guys, so maybe we didn't even mention it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you, you know, I think John Rahm's an interesting story to watch this week. You know, he's, he, his wife and he just had their first baby, and he's, you know, he was fourth in 2018. Um, he shot 66 there. In fact, I think he holds the record for the lowest last 54 holes at 14 under. I mean, the guy has, um, you know, he, he has a ton of talent and he's, he's had top tens in, in three starts there. So he's a guy that, you know, maybe he's coming off this refreshing new feeling that happened. Danny Willett described that after he, when he won that his wife had just had a baby prior to coming. So he's kind of one that maybe doesn't, isn't getting talked about as much. Uh, I think Xander Schauffele is an interesting case. Um, you know, he's playing in his fourth Masters, and he has made 25 birdies back in 2019. The last time it was played in April, he made 25 birdies. That's tied for the second most in Masters history with Phil Mickelson. There, Jordan Spieth with 28 is the is the leader. So I think there's a guy that's shown. Look, he, he's played here three times. He knows how to make birdies. He's kind of figured out some of the combination of Augusta National. So I think I think Xander and Rom are a couple of guys that that you might want to pay attention to this week and. Uh, out, outside of that, I really think the favorites are 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 there for a reason. And um, the, the most interesting story to me uh, that could probably come out of this, outside of maybe Spieth winning another one, would be super popular. Dustin trying to defend. That's only happened three times. Uh, but Rory McIlroy is now um, trying for the career Grand Slam for the seventh time. He's also trying to win it in his 12th attempt. Adam Scott, Phil Mickelson, Ray Floyd all won on their 12th attempt. I think that would be a big story as well uh, for the game of golf. So those are those are the storylines that I'm excited to watch. And then, of course, if if Finau can continue his form there at the Masters, would be would be fun. But with all of those things converging, and then Brooks coming in and he's going to basically try to play on one leg like Tiger Wood did in 08. I, I think it's a, this is going to be a super compelling week. I think it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. All right. Well, we got a break now. Pigs in a blanket for everyone. I like it. And if you're going hand style, he wants it uh, sausage wrapped in a pancake dipped in maple syrup, which, by the way, sounds pretty darn good right now. It really does. All right, thank you. We appreciate it. And we'll hear you Saturday morning, Real Golf Radio, you and Bob Casper uh, every week. Appreciate it, guys. Always good to be with you. All right, there he is. Bob Taylor joining us. 
Bob Taylor. Brian Taylor joining us. He and Bob Casper uh, alternate all week long and get us our Masters updates right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up, we got Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, former BYU assistant, Utah staff member, Jazz and the Suns tonight. How big a game is this? We got a lot of you weighing in on that, and you're all over the map. We will get to that and try to explain next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Brian Taylor joining us, Real Golf Radio. So the appetizer starts with pigs in a blanket. That's delicious. And you got to hand it to Dustin Johnson to put pigs in a blanket on a Masters Club dinner. Like, is there a more prestigious, in all of sports, dinner club? And he goes with pigs in a blanket. And then, oh, by the way, just to class up the joint, we're going to go lobster and corn fritters. And look, we all enjoy pigs in a blanket. I just don't know if that's uh, a Masters dinner. That's all. I've got the image of me eating like four of those just before I get into my flay with lobster tail. And how that would be. I like how you're like. Pair well. You're like, hey, bring more of those over here. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Faldo, can I have yours? Yeah. (laughs) I'm hungry. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Working from home and with a hybrid workforce, get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. 385-420-7881 or syringanetworks.net. All right, given the Jazz loss in Dallas, how big is this game with the Suns? Top two records in the NBA Brandon says it's important. Playoff positioning, home court advantage. We lose in the Suns on the season head-to-head tiebreaker against us. Brandon is all in. Meanwhile, Cody says it's a regular season game. It feels like there is some importance to tonight's game. It does help cushion the one seed, and it does build confidence going forward. And I think if there's anything you could take away, confidence, PGA. Confidence matters a lot. How often do you see a winner who questions whether they can do it or not. By the time you're ready to win big, you know you're ready to win big, and you're carrying that confidence. So whatever builds that confidence, I'm all in favor of. Well, yeah, I don't know how you can argue with that. Right. Uh, so Confidence, well, baby. Well, I think that for teams that haven't proven it, it's just that. You haven't proven it, so you have to find... Uh, Building blocks. Okay, that, that's a Building good, blocks good phrase, to get sure. where you want to go, and that's the Jazz, and that's the Suns, and that's the Bucks. Yeah, yeah, and f- although I believe in the Jazz the more Sixers. than that, but I, but I get that there's not a lot of folks who do. And then, see, you want to avoid a bunch of uh, slumps, or uh, any slump. And, and when they lost four out of six, that was a little bit of a slump, right? Well, then they came out of it and they won eight or nine games, whatever it was in a row. Well, now, you know, they're, they're on a one-game losing streak. That certainly isn't a slump. But if you lose to Phoenix tonight, I have to assume Conley's not playing tomorrow. And Damian Lillard just went 2 of 14. He's so due. that that scares me, man. Uh, you know, and Powell had a big game, so maybe he's not capable of reproducing that. But it just seems like Lillard, particularly when he comes to town, Somehow he views it as a bigger game because he played up the road there at Weber, and uh, you know maybe he's got some folks in town. If it's uh, Randy Ray and his guys, whoever it might be, they go to the game. It just seems that he plays well when he comes to town, 
And so when he played, even probably plays well when he played the Jazz in Portland. But then you're potentially looking at a three-gamer. You know, if Conley doesn't play tomorrow, well, it's going to be tough enough with Mike in the lineup because you're going to you're going to lose an hour. You're going to get back even later and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and Portland should be, you know, they're going to be fully rested. And, you know, all that evens out, I believe, over the course of 82. And then I think it evens out over the course, in this case, maybe not as much as 72. But nevertheless, Portland has an advantage. So you want to avoid these mini slumps. So... Uh, win tonight, and then if you should lose tomorrow, it doesn't seem like it's as a big deal. But if you lose three in a row, oh, see, man, wow, look at his team. And I think you got Sacramento on Saturday, so you should find a way to get back in the win column there. But you want to maintain a level of what I would say even greatness because I think to this point, they have they have 50 games now. They have maintained a level of greatness Pretty much consistently throughout the whole season, even with the fact that they had lost that four out of six that one little stretch. All right, time to welcome in Tim Lacombe. You hear him on the Jazz pregame shows, halftime, postgame with Jake Scott. They will get things rolling at 7 o'clock tonight. The game will tip off at 8 o'clock. It's on ESPN. Tim, good morning. Why are we talking about losing, PK? Garbage. <laughs> I mean, can we talk about winning? Yeah. Can we talk about losing? Well, when they win, we will talk about winning. But they freaking lost the other night. That's fresh on my mind. I live in the moment, Timmy La. And because I live in the moment, yeah. they're coming off a loss. So they dictate what I talk about, not myself. Okay, hold on. Because I'm going to use your words against you. You live in the moment, but you're talking all about Damian Lillard. We play Chris Paul tonight, bro. We play in Phoenix tonight. Which Come on, man. Why it the moment. increases the desire and necessity to win. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Because I live in the moment, but prepare for the future. So <laughs> when it gets here, I am ready to go. And nothing catches me unprepared. I love this guy. I mean, you cannot win an argument. I was just going to try. And, and he's already got me, so screw it. Well, I'm basically just living a Christmas carol, even in April. Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future. So I'm looking back at Dallas, the Suns tonight, and Portland tomorrow. That's my focus. See, you're, By the way, you're three a best. rational guy. Your yeah. head's on a swivel, DJ. Your on a on swivel. swivel. Pitter-patter. Pitter-patter. Quick feet. Sorry, Bob Kloppenberg. Yeah. Goes to Bob Klopp. Wait, I think Bob's still alive. Anyway. Okay, so you you come to all these games, and you're in studio with Jake. And I know from doing TV for a few years that you think you're all in on all these games, watching them all the time. But the fact is, you can't get around, walk around the kitchen, you know, get on phone calls and all that. You gotta sit through the blowouts. And everyone else says, yeah, I watched the Orlando game, but they checked out midway through the second quarter. The final four was on, and your butt was in the chair because you got to talk for an hour after the game is over, at least 45 minutes, probably an hour after the game is over. So I'm just curious if you've got a little more energy for the games this week. I mean, you've always got energy for them because you literally can't leave early. You can't be the fan leaving Dodger Stadium in the seventh inning. So you're a little more fired up this week because these games do seem like they all mean more. 
Yeah, I uh, I really have been, have been looking forward to this uh, this Phoenix game. Uh, you know, I thought that when Phoenix played the Jazz early in the season, you know, they really kind of had their way with them defensively, and and it was before the Jazz kind of got on a roll. I think uh, I think their loss to Phoenix made them four and four, and then they obviously went on a eleven win game win streak. Um, but Phoenix did some things defensively, really got up and pressured, caused the issues. Um, you know, and it kind of hurt the Jazz. So I'm curious to see, you know, what the kind of what both teams do as an adjustment and um, and how that game's played tonight. It'll be really, really interesting. And then obviously you got one and two, so in the West. Um, so it's a great game. What do you do with Booker? Because he's an elite-level scorer as far as making sure he's probably going to get his, but he doesn't get in the 40 range. Yeah, and that's hard uh, because you know the hardest part about about Booker is he's he's somebody I call an anytime anywhere shooter, and uh, I really do believe in watching him some that the, the start of games is important. You know, if the Jazz can do a decent job to start the game on him, um, you know, there's some carryover. And the biggest thing you're not going to stop him, right? It's it's a it's a, a defensive mindset that hey, you've got to be mindful of him. And you got to make every shot difficult, but you have to live with the ones that he makes that are tough. And he makes a lot of tough twos. Um, so you can't let that get you discouraged. Uh, really, the game plan will be uh, put in place and the guys will execute it. And I would imagine Booker will be a, a huge part of, you know, the Jazz being able to win the game if they can kind of keep him in check. All right, so another guy I'd like to talk about because I sense he's really important. I haven't watched enough Suns basketball to completely pull this apart and dive in on it. Um, but for uh, PK, or maybe PK's sisters who introduced him to music, to music, he is the fifth Beatle. I guess for the younger fans, he is, is basically he's Royce O'Neal, who we know is really important to the Jazz, and he gets a lot less run than any other Jazz player does if you're just, you know— I don't know, watching highlights on ESPN or reading whatever power ranking on whatever website you go to. What about Bridges? Because he, he could be the O'Neal comparison. He's played every game. They play him 32 minutes. He started all 49 games, but he's not getting the run that Paul or Booker or Aiton gets. But he must be playing all those minutes and all those games for a reason. He's giving him something. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a terrific defender. And similar to what you talked about, with Royce, he really is kind of a three and D guy for them. Um, I think that his, I think that his uh, his biggest strength, you know, is he has a, a real feel for where to be on the defensive end, and then he's capable of making shots. And so, uh, not a guy that's going to get a ton of press, but like Royce has been for the Jazz, a guy who will really, uh, you know, do all the little dirty things, all the all the little things that. Nobody else really wants to do. Um, you know, Bridges does that kind of in spades. And I feel like another guy, um, Jay Crowder, is, has been really good for the, for the Suns as well. Um, you know, former Jazz guy, brings a level of toughness, um, was obviously with Miami last year on their great run. So uh, Jay brings a great level of enthusiasm, excitement, and can make some shots. You know, he really kind of hurt the Jazz the first game here in Salt Lake. I sort of like how Bogdanovich is not abandoning the three, but is expanding his game because the three hasn't been hitting 
hasn't been dropping the way he normally is uh, accustomed to. So with that in mind, it's clear that he's decided to drive the ball to the basket, get some more two-pointers that are close to it, that that's the way to help. So I appreciate him doing that. Yeah, I felt like um, you know that's something he did last year that I didn't really know he had in his game. Um, I think Quinn's done a good job of not just letting, you know, letting him kind of stand out there and shoot threes till they fall. He's gotten them opportunities to drive it. And he's also got him post-ups. And I, I told Jake a couple times that post-up game, depending on the matchup, we're going to see a lot of that in the playoffs because it's been really efficient. And if, if you don't bring a second defender, Bojan's really good at scoring that little shot down there in the restricted area. Uh, and if teams do bring a defender, then you've got another way to get the blender started and get wide open catch and shoot threes. So I, I really like the way that they're using Boyan. I think part of him driving it and finishing better is his wrist is probably a little better than it was to start the season. And uh, I think he trusts a little more. And so I think that all those things, uh, you know, I think Boyan's played better. He's, uh, he's looked better. He's played better. His confidence has been better, and that's certainly good for the Jazz. So the logic that, uh, you know, Portland lost to the Clippers and Damian Lillard went 2-for-14, so that should scare Jazz fans because he'll probably be on in Portland. Shouldn't all that logic be applied to Donovan Mitchell? He's coming off an 0-for-8 game from the three-point arc. Shouldn't he come out, fill it up, and have a big game against the Suns? And when he's filling it up, when we see Bubble Donovan and he gets on a roll, a lot of problems go away. I stunned him into submission. The sheer logic of that article just blew Tim away. We lost you there. I'm just saying if everyone's going to be sweating Damian Lillard, which they should be, he's coming off a 2-for-14, he might light it up against the Jazz. Well, Donovan Mitchell's coming off an 0-for-8 in Dallas. Why can't he light up the Suns? And if he lights them up, well, then a lot of problems go away. The 0-for-8, probably of all the things in the Dallas game, it really surprised me because Donovan took good shots, and he's been taking – He's been he's been very very aggressive, particularly to start games. Um, but I've loved how locked in he's been, and his shot selection's been good. Uh, I feel like that you know he he got eight shots last night or uh, the other night against Dallas that he normally makes a, a good percentage of. So for him to go zero for eight was a real surprise. I, I totally agree. I think Donovan will be uh, would be really important tonight because again the way that Phoenix plays defense, they really pressure you. And the only way you can, you can uh, really deal with pressure is you have to either back cut pressure off the ball or you got to drive pressure on the ball. And Donovan's capable of, of driving pressure and getting where he wants to get on the floor, so he's going to be really important to the Jazz tonight. And I think he can have a great game. How disappointing were, were you when Gonzaga did not win? I was bummed. Uh, you know, I'm happy. Calling us from the bottom of a well today. We don't usually have these problems with Tim. All right. Yak will try to reconnect with Tim. I think we've lost him. Well, he was bum, PK. He knows those guys. He has relationships. It's hard to get where they got. But what he just said applied to Gonzaga. They faced a lot of pressure, and they even had a timeout with Few where he was, you could tell with the hand motions, he was telling them, back cuts. They're pressing us. We got to go back door. It's wide open. But they didn't get it done.
They did not. Didn't no. get it done. Didn't get enough backdoor layups to relieve that pressure. Yeah, and college is a little bit different. You know, the NBA, it seems like you have runs. Yeah. So if you don't get it this year, you probably got a chance next year where college you never really know. But expound upon your feelings on Gonzaga losing, Tim. Well, I was, you know, I was, I just drove down a well. I apologize. I had to back out of it. Um, but I, I felt like, you know, the Zags, they had to use so much energy in the UCLA game. But all that being said, I just think Baylor was better. I think they were deeper. They were more physical. Um, I got to know Scott Drew when we played him a couple times. And in, in, they came out here to BYU. We went and played them there in Baylor. And then we played him in the NIT. He's a great guy. He's done a great job building a program for a long time. You know, I got to give AD credit because nowadays, you know, there was a period of time where people were pretty down on Scott Drew. And, you know, when we played him in the NIT, I mean, he had a lot of dudes come through there that were really, really good. We played Pierre Jackson, played in the the NBA. Um, You know, Royce was obviously on Baylor's team. Uh, They had good big guys for years, and they just couldn't break through. They couldn't win. Uh, enough games, you know, to make the tournament consistently. They were in a NIT, and the AD stuck with it. And, I mean, Scott's been there 18 years. Um, I don't think that's done most places. I think we just saw, you know, at Utah, people, you don't make the tournament a couple years in a row and everybody's hair starts on fire. Um, so credit to the AD. Uh, a ton of credit to the AD there. Uh, certainly a former coach can appreciate um, the the fact that Scott Drew was doing a good job, just wasn't breaking through, and they hung with him, and he got through. So I'm bummed about Gonzaga. I love love everything about their program. Love Mark Fuse, unbelievable guy. Um, and I, I would I would say they'll be back. Um, I, you know, like you said, PK, you never know if you're going to win it. And even getting back there sometimes is uh, is really difficult because it's all about matchups. Um, but I, I'm. I loved watching the final or the, or the NCAA tournament this year. It was so nice to have it back. So two coaching changes here on the Wasatch front with uh, Craig Smith filling one and creating the second one. You hearing anything about uh, staffs, players, recruiting? Any early vibe for those two fan bases about where these programs may be headed? Uh, a little bit about. You know, my understanding is that Utah, uh, you know, I think Craig's cleaning house. I don't think he's going to keep anybody around. Um, I, I think, you know, which is totally understandable. I think that'd be hard to do sometimes to come in and do your thing, but have guys that have been there before. So um, I think that more than anything, you know, he, he's got to a good start. He'd be brought his main guy from Utah State for his bringing. And, and I know DeMarlo Slocum's there as well, who's a former Ute and was there with Larry. So excited about that. Um, Ryan Odom, you know, that was a name that I'd heard a little bit. Wasn't sure of how it fit, but now I kind of understand there's a connection um, with the Jazz, and and, uh, Ryan's brother's a scout for the Jazz. Um, I I don't know him personally. Watched him from a distance a long time. He obviously pulled off one of the great upsets in the history of college basketball. And I really like that. You know, they made it a nationwide search. They went out and found a guy who has been successful at a quote-unquote mid-major uh, or small major, and and I think that the I think that it'll be exciting for for Utah State. I know they're having the press conference today, so be interesting to hear kind of some of the things said. I have no idea what he's doing staff-wise there. Um, 
I would assume, you know, with connections to the Jazz and that sort of thing, he understands the importance of, of putting culture, you know, and understanding the culture here and having somebody that does that. So, I mean, that, if I ever talked to Ryan, that would be my advice. Um, I don't think you've got to sell out in that regard, but I think it's good to know the lay of the land. So you saw that uh, you said that he's uh, uh, Smith's not retaining any of the coaches. Well, we already saw one of the coaches' sons go into the transfer porter. Does that mean they're going to lose both of them? Because obviously Chris Jones is a coach there, and his son was on the staff on the team. You know what? I don't know that that's uh, in the cards. I know from from my conversation, I think Ryland's played. You know, has been up there working out, and so um, how that all works out is always a little bit tricky because, you know, uh, Ryland's been at Utah now a couple of years, and although things have changed, they're still teammates and that sort of thing. I don't know that there's any indication one way or the other. Um, You know, I've tried to give my guys up there space to kind of figure things out. Um, Certainly a possibility, I would guess, but I don't know for sure where that stands right now. Tim, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Your genius emanates even from the bottom of wells. So wherever you are, weekly, we hope for another appearance from you. Well, I, I, pre- I apologize for my late arrival and my. Uh, I, I had to take I had to take a call in the car. I don't like to do that, but I'm on my way to a a meeting, and so thank you for bearing with my <laughs> technical difficulties. All right, Tim, you're the man. We will hear you tonight, 7 o'clock, Zone Sports Network. You and Jake Scott getting us ready for the Jazz game at 8. Sounds great. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day. All right, Tim Lacombe, pregame host with Jake Scott, 7 o'clock for the pregame, 8 o'clock for the Jazz and the Suns right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. He covers college sports for the Washington Post. He's Patrick Stevens. Let's tell Aggie fans what kind of head coach they're getting. They're getting a guy that is a really sharp cookie. UMBC had had seven consecutive 20-loss seasons and won 41 games in that span. It was really not a good situation to be walking into and immediately wins 21 games, figures out a way to recruit quickly and reload a program that hadn't done much for a decade. And then, obviously, the next year pulls that memorable upset against Virginia. His teams play really good defense, really elevated that UMBC program program during his five years in the Baltimore suburbs, and I think Utah State's getting a really, really good coach. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you part by Mark Miller. DJ PK in the mornings brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. All right, we just heard from Tim Lacombe about the Jazz and the Suns tonight. How big a game is this? And Jay, Jay Red, here for laughs, hashtag NBA, hashtag fitness, good vibes. And that's a long handle there, Jay. Biggest of the big, hugest of the huge. All the chips got pushed to the middle of the table. Someone muttered call. Eyeballs flicked to the left and right. Someone audibly dry swallowed their own lack of spit. It's key. They want the season series. Can still get the number one seed with a loss, though. Well, then it's not the biggest of the big. You don't face elimination, so to speak. You can still get the one seed with a loss. Both these things can't be true, PK. They can't be. I think it's big on the progression to the one seed. I think that's where we're going with this. They all add up, and you don't want to have slumps. 
especially for a team that has not proven anything in the postseason. They haven't. There's just no other way around it. Back-to-back losses in the opening round. Blew a 3-1 lead. Yeah. Star player says, we're done with this first-round exit stuff. Frustration clear and present in his voice, as it should be. It would be frustrating if it weren't. So, yeah, how can you argue that? You're spot on. And he said that months later. He didn't say that in the moment. Maybe he said it in the moment, too, but he said it months later. So I like that conviction. So this is, And this is a team that needs to win and needs to win now because they've got three guys in their rotation that I think we could obviously argue the top six because uh, or I guess Clarkson is there, too, so top seven. Uh, is are in their 30s in with uh, Joe and Bogdanovich and, and, and Conley here. So they could very well be back next year and play very well. I'm not saying that, but there's just no guarantees. There's no assurances in any of this stuff here. So they've been really, they've been really a great opportunity right now. Yes, and they've been very healthy this year, and you just don't get that all the time. They certainly didn't have it last year. Right, they lost Conley uh, for a big chunk of the season early. Then they lost Bogey in the bubble. You're healthy right. now. Strike now. You know, there's no guarantee. Right, right now the net seems somebody has a hamstring strain. I mean, just just as they're getting Durant back, they're losing Harden. Uh, uh, Kyrie Irving, you know, didn't make a road trip earlier. I mean, you never know who's coming and going. And there's stuff you can't control. Stuff happens in people's lives, and stuff happens to people. When I guess we should put that, you know, Joe had a, as, probably as poor a stretch as he's played, and he said later, well, it was because of his kid and what they were going through with the diagnosis with autism. So you never know when that stuff. And right now they seem to have everything lined up. So you got to strike while things are, are breaking your way. Yeah, I agree. I, and that's, that's why I want to see them go ahead. And all the, it's not like there's a bunch of stuff that ails them. I'm not saying that. And like, It's not a must win. I think there's a difference between a big game and a must win. And this is a big game. It is not yeah. a must-win. They could win this game and still screw up a winnable playoff series in in the postseason. They could also lose this game and then be brilliant in May and June in the playoffs. I guess we have to throw in July now, right? Because it'll be playoffs in July. Um, so, but confidence matters. And the biggest storyline that worries the Jazz is: Yeah, you've gotten real good, but there's a ceiling you haven't cracked through. And you're much better at dominating the middle and bottom of the league, but still not quite there when it comes to the top of the league. That's a fear of Jazz fans. It's certainly something that's been said by a lot of people. It's kind of the predominant storyline nationally, right? Shaq brought it front and center on a TNT postgame after a Jazz win. But there had been other people. Let's not put it all on Shaq. And that storyline gets reinforced if you lay an egg in Phoenix, and then probably if you lay an egg in Portland, too. And after this, you got a bunch of games where you're back to beat in the middle and bottom of the league. Sacramento, who's had a nice run, but Sacramento, Washington, Oklahoma City, and Indiana, eh. the next week is, eh. you know. Seattle, it. San Francisco, too. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> All right, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, and Yawk wants us to turn our attention to the Masters and give away a golfer right now. Somebody wins. Somebody qualifies, actually. You don't win, but you qualify. You win a Golf Masters giveaway. If you call it 12 right now at 855-340-ZONE, you will qualify for this year's Masters tournament, and you will be partnered with... Colin Morikawa. Ah, the PGA champ dominated Harding Park. If Morikawa wins, you get the same brand of driver that he's got in his bag. 
Call in now, 855-340-9663, and get yourself qualified. 855-340-ZONE, all brought to you by Uinta Golf, serving Utah golfers since 1971. Well, PK, when the folks get back to Lavelle Edwards Stadium, it's going to look different. BYU announcing new video boards. Gone are those tiny 34 by 50 boards, PK. Now, when you turn your neck to see a replay of a touchdown, 48 by 131. Gigantic! Well, size matters is an overused cliche, but I think in these situations, they become extremely noticeable, at least for me, maybe not for others who don't travel as much. I've been to all the stadiums in the Pac-12 and obviously many stadiums around the country, uh, professional and college, certainly more college, way more college than pros. Yeah, but you've been to a fair number of baseball stadiums for sure, maybe fewer on the NFL, but you've been to a few NBA, a few NFL, and a lot of baseball stadiums. Right. The difference being that uh, NFL stadiums are usually bigger than baseball stadiums. Mm -hmm. And the uh, necessity that you need as far as having the big scoreboard replays and all that stuff, I I think it's right there with the viewer experience because, you know, it's hard to see. Baseball, the field stays the same. The ball is always there. You know, it goes left field, center field, or right field. But wherever you are – in your seat, your view of that never changes. In if you're in football, one end zone in football, yeah. and the ball goes yeah. the other end of the field, you're like, I don't know what happened down there. Especially right. if you're sitting low. If you're sitting low, then it uh, really gets hard to know what's going e- either on. Either way, I can recall an instance uh, back in the 80s, and the, the Devils were in the uh, position to go to the Rose Bowl. And if I remember correctly, they needed to beat Washington. And everybody came to the game. It was such a – that was back when it was sold, uh, 70-some thousand. Every seat sold out, right? And people had roses there and all this stuff, and they were going to win. They were going to go to the Rose Bowl. And I'm sitting in the upper level end zone. I mean, up at the top, I could wave to the pilots because Sky Harbor is on the way mm-hmm. for any of you who have been I've there. I've seen I mean, it. I've looked yeah, out so and I've, seen Sun Devil out the yeah. window. Yeah, so I was way the freak up there, and going to, and I was in the north end zone, and the play, the team, uh, Washington, had the ball, and they were going north to south, and they were inside Sun Devil territory. Well, they made a play, a catch, that beat the Devils, and they didn't go to the Rose Bowl, and it was massively disappointing, right? And, And I didn't realize how great the catch was until the next day, when I saw it on, like, the, they're replaying some highlights at the 5 o'clock Sunday news, the guy laid out and had his right hand extended parallel to the ground, and he makes a one-handed catch. And that's essentially how the Devils got beat, and they didn't win the game, go to the Rose Bowl. I forget who went there. I don't know. It was like 82, 83, 84, 5, somewhere in there. UCLA. And <laughs> I, it might, may have been. I, don't, I, have, yeah. I have no memory. But I remember distinctly that I had no idea – the quality of that catch. Now, it wouldn't have made me feel any better if they would have had the video scoreboard. <laughs> but if it no, would have been the Sun Devils, yeah. I would have uh, would have felt better. But you want to know, and you in football there, there could be that's a, that's a good long distance from where I was to where the play was. And so, if you have those, it enhances the in house experience and with hd and all this stuff now you need to have this stuff and i've been and all these stadiums have them 
uh, the Pac-12, uh, the, the Coliseum, which is obviously the oldest stadium that anybody's going to play in. They've got it, and everybody has it, and it's a necessity for the fan experience. And the release says, says, because I know some of you are listening to this discussion going, I thought there were $20 million in the hole. Well, first off, they raised a lot of that money. I don't know the exact number they may have raised. Did they get all of it, Yaki? No, just north of like 15 so Okay, like but still, that's still a lot of it, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Newskin's paying for this whole thing. So I assume there'll be new skin ads prominently. They're doing new ribbon boards. I'm sure new skin's name will they're, be. They're funding all of it. And, yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. Not one penny is going to be used because BYU is financially prudent and self-sustaining. Thank you. And they're prepared. Not only this, but they have a three-year preparedness scoreboards in case something happens. A force du jour to these scoreboards. They got three others that they can put in. Very That's how cool. prepared they are. They have a 72-hour scoreboard kit, my friends. A <laughs> 72-hour scoreboard. Um, one thing I can add to this is, for comparison's sake, many of you have probably been up to Rice Eccles Stadium or out to Rio Tinto Stadium. BYU's video boards will be slightly smaller than those, but they're in the same realm in terms because of Because that's BYU. They're not gaudy. No. <laughs> It's they kinda, don't do that. It's kind of like salaries. They're not going to lead the charge. They'll kind of catch up. They'll be 80% of the way, 90% of the way there. Sure. But they're not Because all of us have been to Lavelle Edwards Stadium, and we receive extra special blessings inside that stadium oh, that do? make up for any financial score uh, a shortcoming and also make up for any length of scoreboard video replay shortening. Is that because of the lack of swearing that, they, that you hear in that stadium? <laughs> now, I've been to Lavelle Edwards Stadium, and I haven't heard one damn swear word. I but have. when I go to Rice Eccles, <laughs> oh, my bleeping gosh. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm just, I, I need to shower Who was that guy? That. Jeff Benedict. There Jeff you. Benedict. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to So both that those scoreboards there. right now are 34 by 50. One will be a little bigger, 36 by 72, and one will be gargantuanly bigger, 48 by 131. So that's a 40-yard scoreboard, 40 yards wide. That's almost as wide as the field. Now you take gargantuan and you just made it an adverb. Yeah, gargantuanly. Very rare is gargantuan more than what it is, a noun, and you just made it an adverb. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Well, it's what you said, though. You got to keep up with the in-home experience. You know, back in the day, the games weren't on TV, and they had sixty-five thousand, and it was packed. And the population of Utah County has tripled, and now they're not averaging sixty. Well, they you can't because they've downsized the stadium a couple thousand seats. But We're uh, down like sixty-two. Yeah. To your point, it, it, attendance is trending in the wrong direction, and they got much better home schedules now. But you're still competing with HD, no traffic, no parking. They, uh, the, the food and drinks are cheaper at home, and why should I go down? You know, they got to do what they can to close the gap. So you got to do this kind of stuff, uh, and Newskin's yeah. underwriting it. And so for the people who have season tickets, uh, they'll get all the replays of all the touchdowns, all the toe-tapping catches that you can't see. And even see. for those who buy single-game tickets, they'll get them too. I suppose, but we really don't want those people looking at the video board until they bought the season tickets. I think I speak for Tom Homo and Chad Lewis and probably even Robbie Bosco. Uh, Bosco, maybe not. Yeah, I'm right. I know. I knew. I hedged when I said what's it. Maybe the not. Meter of the greens. I was, I was, I was really say, about, yeah. Lee Johnson does not want to be involved in this conversation. <laughs> I don't speak for Lee. I never know what he's going to say next. He's wildly entertaining. I don't yeah, even right. know what he's going to open with. Hey, bro. But after that, I have no idea where it's going.
And, you know, I think that you talk about the uh, in-home experience, too, the food and drinks being cheaper. Mm-hmm. And I also think we need to factor in it's much easier to walk outside in full BYU regalia and get a smoke. That's Vegas Bowl only. Can you do that? That doesn't really have anything to do with Provo. That's Vegas Bowl only. You can't smoke in Provo? Have they outlawed smoking in Provo? They've outlawed many things in Provo, PK. They have? Yeah, and you and I will probably be next. Not Yak, I'm outlawed and I'm outlawed Yak is legal. He's the enemy, but he's legal. Just had to go there, didn't you? Provo's an interesting place. It really reminds me of walking down a street in Birmingham in the 50s. Now you're in San Diego. <laughs> what are you, time traveling? <laughs> Provo, Vegas, San Diego, too. Yeah. Well, hey, let's go to Wyoming and throw stuff at the Cougars. Just mentally, not Laramie. physically. Let's go. Don't approve. Yeah, Laramie. Oh, no, they throw things physically. I know there. they do. I've heard. I've heard. They have players with great shocking. stories about stuff cascading as they walk out the tunnel. The, oh, the, I've the, seen it. The words just cascading down. Like, hey, I just got here. Already? A certain, a certain phrase that is being chanted by the yeah, crowd. Yeah, I don't know. How is the pit, PK? I haven't, I haven't, there have got to be stories in the pit and the sewer rat. Oh, yeah. Let's hit all the highlights of the just, old days. I mean, you got like 75-year-old ladies just F-bombing the Cougars <laughs> as they come down that <laughs> ramp. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. Oh, man. Absolutely. That's you where know, I'd man. handle things differently. You know, I just think if that had been, you know, 20-year-old me, assuming I'd been good enough to be a D1 athlete, which I wasn't even remotely close to being. But, I mean, I think then it would have been, oh, you know, they're yelling, you know. But if you could be, like, have the maturity of, you know, like, 40 or 50 year old you you know you'd be you'd just be laughing like come on grandma it would have no impact it would be hilarious it was the only place where i openly rooted for the team i was covering and i felt no uh, journalistic ethic violations (laughs) because the pit was just so freaking nasty and i've said this you know as far as the basketball and the west coast conference that these guys, they've missed out on that. And when you think about it, Nick Emery had that one thing where he told the uh, the fan, was it a fan, was it a Gonzaga fan? Gonzaga fan, yeah. Yeah, and it was in Vegas because that was like the only, the, the, the only place you could get jeered if you were BYU. Because you beat your ass. Sit down. Oh. <laughs> well, there was yeah. one other one. Well, you get... <laughs> yeah, but that was like... That, See, the, it was at the University of Portland. That, that was, was, was Portland. Having, like, was having a conversation with the guys. <laughs> it's true, though. There's like 10 people there on that baseline, and he's like, you, shut the F up. <laughs> he looked right, yeah. Normally it wasn't just like some noise or some group and all that stuff. Because this is from a TV it, broadcast. Yeah, they, yeah they, they could pick it up. It, it's like uh, the way they had stuff going on with the pandemic is you could hear things that you normally couldn't hear because of no crowds, mm-hmm. right? And that's what you get in a West Coast Conference road games. Now, you do get a little bit of an environment in St. Mary's and also at Spokane, but they're small numbers. Uh, I think the, the the Spokane place, the McCarthy Center, like is that six. like 5,000? It's north of 6,000. Yeah. Is it now? I mean, it, it, so it's a dec- It's certainly a great atmosphere, but the sheer numbers of yep. 16, 17, 18,000 in the pit and when they would go into Wyoming and Vegas and obviously at the Huntsman Center, San Diego had built a great crowd by the time the Cougars got out of there. 
And they, they put their bench, BYU's bench, was right next to the San Diego State student section, which was under the basket, and that's where we sat as the media. And that was a phenomenal environment. Well, I'm talking speaking of the new arena, of course. At the time, it was new. It's been around for a good long while. And to tell you what they thought of BYU, San Diego State opens their brand-new arena. It's their first friggin' real game. And they bring in BYU. Now, that was back in the whack quadrant nonsense, and BYU wasn't in San Diego's quadrant, so they were a conference member, but it wasn't a conference game, and they want to make sure they have a good crowd. What do they do? They invite BYU. Now, all you BYU fans who constantly argue with Utah as far as your national fan base and following, that's your trump card right there. They invited BYU in. And they, it was a big, they had a ceremony. They brought out freaking Joel Kramer was there for that game, DJ. They brought in Joel My Kramer. My guy! <laughs> yes. I love me some. I'm a little kid. Kramer was the man. Yes. He played well, for I mean, the I don't want to diss Steve Kopp. I don't want to diss Steve Kopp because Steve Kopp had it going on too. And Will Conley. Okay. I did love some Will Conley. Don't, don't, don't remember those guys. Too late. I'm done. That's these all are, I got. I only are, got three These guys. are names that my grandpa's brought up. So. Yeah, that, that's way back. I, well, yeah, yeah I, I was it. I was a youngster, a teenager, when Kramer played for the Suns, and mm-hmm. they only had 12 guys. They didn't have 50 guys like they have now. They had one coach and an assistant, so you got to you you were aware of everybody. Here, I'd be hard pressed to name all the jazz guys because they I certainly couldn't name all the coaches now uh, because of all the guys that they have. In those days, they didn't have near as many. I mean, they brought in the Cougars, and Tony Gwynn was the uh, television announcer, and we go into the press room, and I and he's talking with. Uh, Hank Wesh was the San Jose State beat writer uh, for the uh, for the paper, and I knew Hank, and so I'm talking to him. And Tony was there, and he, Tony starts ch- chiming in. I said, "Hey, Tony," I, I said, uh, you, "You look really familiar." I didn't call him Tony. I said, "You look really familiar." And he said, "Yeah, I'm the new beat writer for the Poway Chieftain." <laughs> 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 and that's why he was everybody's friend in the media. He always had a line. Oh, yeah, the greatest, uh, the greatest Padre of them mm-hmm. all. Mr. Padre, for a very good reason, a guy was an unbelievable athlete. played basketball at San Diego State. He did. And obviously he was a phenomenal hitter. Yeah, I, I can recall uh, when Tony got into the Hall of Fame. And we're getting off here, but what the heck. And we beat the Suns game to the ground at this <laughs> point. <laughs> and, and so they had Cal Ripken. And Tony Gwynn, if I remember correctly, yep. they went into the class of the same year. Obviously, yes. two first ballot superstars all the way. You can argue it's not as clear and concise that uh, Cal Ripken is Mr. Oriole just because the Orioles have had a longer, more illustrious franchise. And there's no doubt that Tony Gwynn is Mr. Padre. And so they have the press conference. I'm watching the press conferences, and they, they have uh, – Cal Ripken, and he's got the Baltimore Orioles media personnel there, and it's formal. And somebody from the media asks a question, and Cal answers it. Then they go later to Tony Gwynn, and it's outside. It's like down the right field line in the stadium, and Tony's standing on the field, and the press is sitting in the bleachers, in the seats, right? And Tony's there. Yeah, Bob. Okay, Bill. He's pointing him out. He's no, he knows him all by name. There's no PR guy next to him. He's conducting the deal by himself, and the guys raise their hand like he's the teacher, and he knows all the students' names. And it just struck me. That's the essence of Tony Gwynn. <laughs> Cal Ripken, who was this megastar for sure, 
And he's got – and I had no problem with the way Cal Ripken was doing it, but that, not, that was not the Tony Gwynn way. He's, he's having a conversation with these people, and that's who he was, and just a remarkable ball player. But he was there, and BYU, they wanted to have a, a, a sold-out crowd, so they invited BYU. I don't even remember the result of the game. I don't think – I don't think San Jose State had gotten it. I don't think Fisher was there yet, or maybe he was. But I don't think the program had developed to where it is now and where Steve Fisher got. Steve Fisher's got multiple Sweet 16s, doesn't he? And uh, so they put BYU in because BYU, they attract folks, that's for sure. So I'm glad to see them increase the scoreboard and all that stuff, make it as much enjoyable and I believe and I could be off base on this but I believe that they're going to be if they allow full amount of fans in let's hope they do I believe those stands are going to be packed because I think BYU football in terms of excitement it's back to where it was under Bronco and I think they have a chance to make it better than they did under Bronco because Bronco a great football coach I respect him as much as I can respect anybody but he wasn't as lovable and as approachable as Kalani is. And Kalani seems to be recruiting some higher-end NFL talent, which is going to catch everyone's imagination. I mean, to be good at football, you better have, you know, 40 really good players every year who can contribute, and you need depth, and you need second stringers, you need special teams, and the other guys better be getting ready to step in behind them and keep it going. But let's face it, a few high-end stars, that's who catches the public's imagination. Well, we need Kafusis. That's who we need. <laughs> well, that's always a good start. <laughs> they, they, here's the thing with Kafusis. Some, some are better than other, but none of them are bust, and none of them wash out. They're all, they all seem to be good. This is like multi-generations going back to the guys who played oh, yeah. for the Utes for McBride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't wash out. Yeah, so if you can have those guys, and they're excited about the talent they've got in the program, I'm excited. I want to see what they can do, man. I think that clearly this schedule that they have, this is the best team to handle this schedule that they've had since going independent. What might have been last year with Zach, but we never will never know because it obviously didn't play out that way. But I think that the, and I don't know how they're going to do, and we'll get to that in the coming months. But I think this is the best equipped to handle this schedule, particularly early. Doesn't mean they're going to beat Utah. I'm not saying that. Uh, we got a long way to go before we're worried about that stuff. But I think that this is the most talent that they've had as an independent prepared to handle uh what do they've got uh how many games they got against pac 12 they got five don't they yeah they got five pac 12 teams this yeah year. because didn't yogi roth come on our station and say yeah can't go pac 12 can't go two and three against this yeah. against the cougars it's uh it's uh arizona san diego or san diego both, both arizona wow you put yeah, san diego state we're not i know you want in but we're not letting you in oh i am um, trust me i'm aware you're not letting in yeah the, arizona, you're not arizona. you're not letting in a california state school they can all you know good luck san diego and fresno but that ain't happening yeah arizona arizona state utah washington state and usc no stanford this year stanford is next year okay I love that schedule. I love as many Pac-12 teams as you can play. I am 100%. This is, this is the high watermark. They don't have you, – you look at the schedules going forward, they don't have this many uh, teams. I think well, this is their toughest schedule 
Yeah, this is. I think this is their toughest schedule. The ones that have been doped out here, and you know, you get four or five years out, you don't know. But this schedule is obviously tougher than last year. I think it'll be tougher than the following year, twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three. You look at those schedules. That's on paper. You never know for sure. Um, but it looks like on ahead. paper, this one, this one's tougher. All right, DJ PK, coming up next, uh, we will continue to beat the Suns game. That was just one segment break. We're beating the Suns game into the ground next. But I think that also for both Jazz and Suns fans, somebody who we know who covers another team, a third team in the West, is talking about a fourth team in the West. And I think they're really smart because they agree with you and I, PK. And people may not want to agree with what you and I say, but here it comes again, and I think it's the truth, and it's going to matter a lot when we get to the NBA playoffs, and we'll get to that next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. He covers college sports for the Washington Post. He's Patrick Stevens. Let's tell Aggie fans what kind of head coach they're getting. They're getting a guy that is a really sharp cookie. UMBC had had seven consecutive 20 lost seasons and won 41 games in that span. It was really not a good situation to be walking into and immediately wins 21 games, figures out a way to recruit quickly and reload a program that hadn't done much for a decade. And then obviously the next year pulls that memorable upset against Virginia. His teams play really good defense, really elevated that UMBC program program during his five years in the Baltimore suburbs, and I think Utah State's getting a really, really good coach. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Well, I think, you know, you add a you know, Hall of Famer like Chris uh, to a team with such an elite talent, elite score, and, and, and Book, and a guy who's, I think, Book's taking this game to another level on both ends of the floor. They've really bought into the game defensively you know, as a team, as a unit. Uh, they've got great guys to cast around those two, and, and they've built that team very well. You know, a playoff caliber team that, that's going to be very tough to handle. So, and we know it's going to be a physical game and a cerebral game with Chris. You know, he's such a smart point guard. So, we'll have to go out there and see what we got. There's Mike Conley talking about the Jazz and the Suns, two best records in the NBA. The Jazz and the Suns play tonight on ESPN at 8 o'clock. Pre-game starts at 7 o'clock here on The Zone with Jake Scott and Tim Lacombe. And PK, we've talked a lot about this game and a lot about the things. One thing that will come up during this broadcast is the NBA Coach of the Year voting because for a long time I think people have assumed that Coach of the Year usually goes to the teams that overachieve their expectations, and the Jazz and Suns are the two teams overachieving their expectations. So whether it goes to Monty Williams or it goes to Quinn Snyder, I think they were running 1-2 for a long time. Now, Atlanta had the midseason coaching change, and man, they, they've they got it going. So maybe Nate McMillan uh, gets some mileage out of that. But I think Monty Williams and Quinn Snyder, uh, those are the guys who've been on the radar all year as the coach of the year. Oh, I think to me it's Monty Williams all the way. They've come further, baby. No hint of winning. And now, big time winning. I said earlier, Devin Booker, this is the first time in the NBA. (laughs) And I think it's his fifth season. I have to double-check that. Uh, He is the the first time he's played on a team that's won 35 games. That's demoralizing. This franchise has sucked. I mean, that's what you get when you have top 10 picks and you take Alex Len. Uh, Marquise Crisp, uh, Dragon Bender. Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson was like the fourth pick. Yep. 
He's even in the league, and it's geez. he was sent to the G League by Memphis yeah. last year. I know he's back on their roster this year, but I'm not sure how much he's. Been. This is year six for Devin Booker. Okay, sixth year. He came so the in first five. <laughs> lose, lose, lose. He's still only 24. So and he's figured out how to win. score. He's figuring out how to win, and he's only 24. Uh-oh. They went eight and zero in the bubble, and they still didn't win 35. Now they didn't play as many games last year. So uh, we understand that. So that's a little bit uh, not a fair assessment as far as the Suns' suckitude. But the Suns' suckitude has been high on the list. And if you just – all those top ten draft choices that I just named, one bust after another. And then – P.K., until last year. Until last year. Until last year, he hadn't won 25 games. Yeah. That's horrific. And even with the screw that they got now, James Jones, uh, former NBA player, is their GM. They still sort of blew it two years ago when they took Aiton with the number one pick when Doncic is sitting there. Yeah, yeah. Aiton will be a nice player, and Doncic is a generational talent. Yeah, so if you go – and Aiton's an okay player. He's he's not a bust. Uh, he just – he drives he, – they go nuts with his – level of inconsistency. As I said, I described him as a rich man's Greg Ostertag. Uh, He is inconsistent, but he's consistently better than the outrageous inconsistency that Ostertag seemed to show for many years. It drove Jazz fans nuts, and I'm sure the management. Now, he's better than that, but he's not Doncic, and they blew it with Doncic, so they'll have to live with that. And the best way to live with that is to win. <laughs> and then it doesn't really matter. And I give them credit, man. They're winning. And Monte Williams, in my mind, is the coach of the year because they had a much higher level to climb. And so far, they did. If you would have told me the Suns, with 20-some games, 22 games to go, would be in second place, even even with – these substantial injuries to the Lakers, even with that, I would have said no way. Agreed. I would not have, I would not have come close to predicting Whereas, that. Whereas if you would have told me the amount of injuries that the Lakers would have, particularly those two guys that are having them, I would think the Jazz had a shot at the number one seed because I felt the Jazz ceiling, without predicting injury, I thought the two seed was certainly within the realm. I thought there was no way the Suns would get top four. There's just no chance that was going to happen. And now it seems clear that it is going to happen. But with the Lakers and the Clippers and the Nuggets and the Jazz, uh, the Blazers and the Mavs even, no way were they climbing past three of those six teams to get into the top four. Yeah, and this is, you know, I haven't really talked about it because I'm a humble guy. I don't talk about myself. But this is really a civil war going on within my brain, you know. My current team, my my, my former team. How do I handle it? I asked my wife. I said, what are we going to do? Pizza. This is going to be a tough time for us. Pizza. Answer now, everything is, a, is food. She, not at 8 o'clock at night. I'm not going to have friggin' pizza. Eh, college <laughs> dorms flashback. Yeah, and I don't have the college uh, what, metabolism either. Details. <laughs> 1 a.m. pizza. It's a cheat day. I didn't say 1 a.m. pizza. I know, but You're I'm talking pizza about between eight college. Oh, college, yeah, college. No, I'm yeah. saying college metabolism. Yeah. Uh, we used to go the Daily Breeze. We'd go to the Bounty Room on Fridays, which was right down the street, because Fridays we put out three newspapers. It was always hectic, particularly during high school football season. And so the guys would wind down. They'd go to this Bounty Room, and uh, and the place would close at one o'clock, and they, you know just hang out. 
and the local pizzeria, they'd come by with all these pizzas that they hadn't sold, and they'd sit in the parking lot, and as guys came out of the bounty room, <laughs> they would offer these pizzas for like five bucks. Convenience. You can't beat it. Todd, ready? Let's get it, guys. Yeah. So they would literally be, they'd have like maybe, I don't know, five to ten pizza boxes, and they would try to sell them to guys coming out. Now, even then, I was not college age, obviously. I had uh, gone on, was, uh, you know, seven, eight years removed from college. I knew, yeah, one o'clock, pizza, nah, Nah. I'm going to pay for this. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to get my weekend off to a horrendous start, even though I worked Saturday, Sunday in those days. But still, I knew not to do that. But, you know, my wife is an Arizona native. So this is, I, I think we might have to have one of those deals. I might have. Uh, uh, a son's sweatpants and a jazz sweatshirt on. I'm a freshman in the dorms. It's got to be the first or second week. And uh, it's like you say, you know, everyone's just done doing whatever homework. I mean, who wants to do homework the first week or two? There's plenty of time to catch up. You don't need to do the reading. week or two for that matter. Well, maybe. Um, (laughs) We were on quarters. Week 10, you were looking at finals. So, yeah, everybody's panicking then because of what, you know, how they handled the first couple weeks. But it was was way early. And this guy, I mean, you you move in from out of town. You don't know anything from anywhere. You don't even know where the pizza place is. This guy orders a pizza at midnight. He's a sophomore. He's got freshman on the dorm and he sells a pizza a slice for you smell it you walk down the hallway right and he's like oh yeah hey grant hey a buck a piece i mean i can't afford to feed the whole door so he sells it and i find out it's like a seven dollar pizza or something or five dollar pizza and he's selling a buck a slice i'm like somebody just made three bucks off of that nice way to be the middleman see and i'm surprised you would say that because me being the staunch republican that i am I'm all for capitalism, and you guys aren't so much, but I am glad you appreciate it. Oh, you know me. I appreciate capitalism all the way through. So I'm all about the money. You've called me out on that a hundred million times. Make it a hundred million and one. So, I mean, that's your conflict within your party there. Yeah. Well, I just believe believe that people like your dad deserve a raise more than once every 14 years. Hey-oh! Every 14 years? Yeah, since they raised the minimum wage, 14 years. Oh, is that where you came up with that? Yeah. Wow, look at you. You're way more political than I am. I had no idea. Yeah. And, and they want to... I they just, seriously, I just read it. I, I won't remember that in two weeks. I is it being raised? Uh, you know, honestly, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, because it's being and raised. And we went 14 years without doing it? Yeah. They're wow. working on that, but I'm not and, sure. 15 isn't flying, so then it was, were they going to compromise to 11 or not? And I lost track. Yeah, I, somebody out there is paying attention. Wait, wait, you told me fourteen. Now you're saying fifteen. No, 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 no. It's, it's been, been fourteen down. years since they raised it. Yeah. There were people who years. wanted to raise it to fifteen dollars an hour. Fifteen, fifteen. But then bucks. that it wasn't was going to. Fl- well, then no, it yeah, wasn't eleven. It, it wasn't going to pass with being fifteen dollars. So an now hour. someone said, "Well, well, well, let's raise it to eleven dollars an hour." And it's well, what? What you know, is it then? Ongoing. It's like seven something, right? Is it seven twenty-five? I believe is what it currently sits at. Yeah. I, I did know. not know any of that. That's you see, see how quickly I got over my skis there? That didn't take any time at all, did it? All right. So the uh, thing I teased that I want to discuss here, you and I have both been yeah, talking right. about, hey, look out for the Blazers. They are coming. The Aaron yeah, Gordon yeah. trade, it fits, it works. Nuggets, nuggets, nuggets. The the Denver Nuggets, so the, the Lakers. You said be- Blazers. Oh, I'm sorry. I got Jazz Blazers tomorrow night on my mind. Right, right, um, right, right. The Denver Nuggets trade for Aaron Gordon. Look yes. out, they're coming. Yes. 
We have both said that. There's been some pushback on social media when we say it. Ah, the Jazz are now in a place where they got their number. And and they may well. We don't even know that they're going to play. We don't even know they're going to be on the same side of the bracket. It's all to be determined. But Kyle Goon, who used to work for the Trib, covered the Utes, covered the Jazz. I think I actually did preps here. And but you know, he he blew through town, got more responsibility. He's very good. Um, He's a total you know, smart ass and will light you up in a heartbeat because he's smart and he's quick and all that. He's hilarious to be around. And now he's covering the Lakers. Um, he's at the Orange County Register, right? Working for your buddy? Yes. Right. Yes. And so he just put a tweet out this morning. I think it's spot on. You always think people are smart when they agree with you. It's just a default thing we do as humans. And he said, for the Lakers, Denver's the first round matchup to worry about. And he was spotlighting somebody else's tweet. I think he quote tweeted someone. You know, the, the, the Nuggets are like plus 66 in the 133 minutes when their best five-man lineup's been on the floor now when Gordon is there. Yes. You know, you, you put him out there with the starters, and like he doesn't get doubled. They, they're probably even slow to help to him because you just you don't want to rotate and leave Jokic. You don't want to rotate and leave Murray and give Gordon an easy pass back to those guys, and they're going to hit open shots. They're going to crush yes. you. So he's really got a chance to shine. They had a weak link and a spot, and he's filling it now, and they're climbing up the standings. And whether they're going to end up, you know, in a 3-6 series or a 4-5 series remains to be seen, so we don't know what the matchups are going to be. But with the Lakers sliding, Kyle Goon is saying, look at this matchup, this would be tough. Especially if these guys come back late and haven't had a lot of time together. You know, if you give them a playoff series in a couple weeks together, that could be just enough to make a difficult matchup a lot easier. Momentum matters, confidence matters, and when you're reintegrating guys, it can be a little bumpy sometimes. Now, maybe they'll get enough regular season games under the belt when they come back that that won't be an issue. But it's hard to know that right now. But Kyle Goon, if I'm the Lakers, this is the first-round opponent I want to avoid the most. And the reason why he brings up the Lakers is because that is his assignment, so he's yeah. writing from the Laker perspective. Absolutely. Uh, but it, I think that can apply to every team. Now, he, <laughs> he's from the Laker perspective because that's his job, but I, I totally believe that what you just said and what he said. So I'm on board exactly with what he's saying because I thought that of all the trades and there was a bunch of stuff that went down. I can't even remember all the trades. But that the was trade the one. Deadline. I yeah. thought that that was the best as far as a team needing to fulfill a need. And they had a hole there because Paul Millsap, great player, lasted a long time, very successful career, but he's at the end. And they had a hole there. And Gordon is not a great player individually, but he fills a piece. And if you have some top-end talent like you have with Jokic and Murray is close, you need to just – you don't necessarily need more top-end talent. If you can get it, obviously, it would be great. But what you need is to make sure you have a solid rotation. And they had a hole there. And he fills that hole. And so far, I've just been watching box scores and seeing highlights. I don't know that I've seen them play a full game. I don't know they've been on the television where I don't have the NBA ticket or package or whatever. But I've been watching the box scores for sure, as I do every day. And he's been filling exactly what they needed. So I think they are going to be very dangerous in the postseason. It's a four-man lineup that uh, Kyle Goon was quote-tweeting Dan Devine from The Ringer, who Uh says that it's Jokic, Gordon, Porter, and Gordon. And those four are now plus 66 in 131 minutes together. And they're in, they're in Brooklyn Nets territory offensively. 133.5 points per 100 possessions. I mean, when those guys are out there together, they are just borderline unstoppable. 
You know, because everybody can do their job, and it's pick your poison time, and NBA guys hit shots, and basically you're, you know, up the river without the paddle. Okay. I was going to say something else, and I realized Yak would have to dump it there. Okay, I'll come clean. I needed to go with that cliche. Yak, I'll tell you in the break what I was going to say. I was like, nope, nope, don't say that. Scotty Deal get all sorts of cranky. Time to pick another golfer. Who's qualifying? Who's ready? Yak, tell the people who they're calling for. It's going to be caller 12 at 855-340-ZONE. Sung J.M. Time for you to win a golf Masters giveaway. Caller 12 now at 855-340-ZONE. You know how this works. You qualify with a player, and then if that player wins, you get the same brand of driver that player has in their bag. Call in now at 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-9663. All brought to you by UNA Golf, serving Utah golfers since 1971. If you don't qualify now, more opportunities the rest of the day right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. One of the many, 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 many things I love about PK is that he agrees with me that BYU should have never left the Mountain West Conference, especially for the basketball purpose. It was a huge mistake. Well, I don't know that's exactly your position, PK. Would you like to uh, recalibrate and redefine for people? Speaking generally or speaking basketball? What are we talking well, about? Well, that's the thing is that you just said your, your position. I think your position is football absolutely needed independence and needed out from the Mountain TV contract and that basketball absolutely paid a price for what football needed. Which isn't exactly what he just said, but I think that is closer to what you have said uh, in various forms many, time on the, many times on this show. Correct. For people who wonder where PK stands, that's where he stands. Now, that's different, though. If they went to the Mountain West now, I'd have to examine the situation, but I don't know that I would be completely entirely opposed to it by any stretch. And the same with the AAC, and I'd have to see what the circumstances were. But at the time, which was uh, in time for, what, the 2011 season, uh, if if I remember correctly? Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I think that... Yes, I supported it 100% at that time. But that's a decade ago, and any decision you made a decade ago is subject to review a decade later. Exactly. Uh, Other stuff that we have talked about, we might have mentioned the Jazz and Suns tonight, you know, a time or two. College sure. Hoops is over, PK. A little youth spring football. We still have you, and we'll have Kyle Whittingham on tomorrow with his media availability. Uh, but we're into that point of the year where all eyes are focused on the Jazz. We're into the final third of the regular season here and uh, sprinting to the finish line and all that stuff. Yes. Anything you want the people to know so that they are on the right page for tonight's game? I think for all the debate, this is clearly a big game. It is not do or die. It is not must win, but it is a big game. Well, I think for the Jazz perspective, you need to be aware of the mindset of the other team because you have to match that energy. You want to be caught off guard. And this is a proud franchise with the Suns. I mean, they've done a lot of winning, not recently, but uh, they came in the league, what, in 68, 69, somewhere around there. And, you know, when I was growing up in there, they were a very good team. And they 
it was a model franchise. They did things the right way. Much so reminded me the Jazz and the Suns reminded me a lot of the same, just the same characteristics as far as when I lived there with a one big time team in the market and all that stuff. And this is a great opportunity for the Suns to establish themselves because I think we saw it with Dallas. You're playing the Jazz. They got the best record. The Jazz the seemed like and certainly the bench for Dallas. Every time they made a three-pointer, it seemed like they're hooting and hollering almost like it was a playoff game. And I think that's the respect that these teams have for the Jazz. So the Jazz need to make sure they're aware of all this stuff and match the energy because I think that and then I, I think they've got like 5,000 folks in the arena uh, whatever it's called there now in downtown Phoenix. It's down the street from the uh, Diamondbacks ballpark. Isn't it Talking and Stick so, Resort still? Is that what it is? I, I, they've changed it. Maybe that's what it is now, yeah, and, but I'm not sure. But anyway, it's going to be a big game. Tom Chambers is going to be there because he does. Uh, he's like thorough in uh, what he does. And you can, you, you'll be able to sense it. People will be around the uh, plaza because it's good weather. It's good weather a lot of places now this time of year. And so people are going to be excited. So it's important for the Jazz to match the energy of the Suns right off the bat and be aware of that. And speaking of Thurl, today Thurl Bailey is 60 years old. Happy birthday to Thurl Bailey on his 60th birthday. Happy birthday, Big T. This is such a turnaround for Phoenix. You brought up that Booker's never won 35 games in the NBA. His first four years, their average record was 22-60. and 60. Last year was the first time he won 25 games in a season. They went 34 and 39, and they needed 8 0 in the bubble to get to that. So they were 26 and 39 when everything hit pause, and that was his best season ever. So now they're 35 and 14. They're winning more than 70% of their games. In a full season, they would be on pace to finish in the high 50s. They probably wouldn't get to 60 wins, but they'd be in that 58 neighborhood. So this, this is a really good basketball team. But I, I, I do think we undersell them here the way we feel the Jazz get undersold in 49 other states. And they may not have – they're depending so much on Chris Paul, it's hard to know how long their window is. It seems like not very long, but this is a big game for the Jazz. But Mitchell's coming off an 0 for 8 from 3. I'm expecting him to have a big game tonight. And when he has a big game and the Jazz are focused – if they're, if they're defending well and he has a big game, how often do they lose? Never. Man, I wouldn't go never, but very rarely. <laughs> yeah, but that's my job to be over the top. Yes, and I like it. Never. <laughs> Hit some people with some passion on the way out the door, PK. I never do that. Uh, we did talk earlier about the Jets and about Zach Wilson and Steve Young's comments, and the Jets GM had a media availability. Uh, Dick Harmon found it and retweeted it, and I just retweeted it too. So if you want to dive into that and hear what the Jets GM had to say, Steve Young is plugged into the Jets, and Steve Young thinks that Zach Wilson is going to the Jets and thinks Zach is a generational talent, which means the next question is, are the Jets going to put enough guys around him to win? So if you want to see that, it's on Twitter. Go to David DJ James or hit up Dick Harmon. And uh, Jets Video, I think, is the account that sent it out there. All right, that's going to do it for us. Hans and Scotty are up next. Give me one more never, PK. Always. Thank you, PK. DJ and PK, we'll see you tomorrow.